there. You are listening to the Quarter 3 Movie Podcast for Everest. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Mrowski. Uh, just refer to me as Mr. Podcast Madness. <laughs> and with our Everest tagline, Kelly Wand. <coughs> How do you spell that? Get, get him some O. Oh my God, get him some O, quick. Oh, I never use O. I mean, uh... Get him some O. <laughs> why did I see Everest at the only English theater in Hamburg? Because it was there. <laughs> oh, it's nice, Kelly Wand. Is there a runner-up, uh, by the way? That was a good one. I only have, I only have one runner-up. Okay, what do you got? It's like gravity, but with gravity. To see in gravity, they don't have to worry about falling. I do kind of like that. That works. All right. I kind of like it. But Kelly Wan, what I really want to know is, do you have a synopsis you can read us that Dingus and I can then guess the movie? Um, you sent me a really good one. Um. <laughs> I don't know how I found that either. Uh, Jeez, I'm, so I'm going up against, I'm guessing against the person who sent it to you. I don't even remember what the movie was. I can do it. You don't? Uh, I just remember looking at the synopsis and thinking, what? It was All a right, TV so, show, wasn't it? Or go ahead and read it. What's the synopsis? It was a TV movie, like Dingus's right. favorite movie, Gettysburg. But, Dingus uh, might have seen it. Yeah, because he sees Getty, Gettysburg and stuff like that, right? All right, you have to guess the name of the of the movie of the ITP <laughs> one you sent me. If you get closer than Dingus, you win. All right. This is an amazing and then, contest. And then I have a... A theme-related IMDb one, right. just because I think it's funny. Did okay. Bill Belichick come up with this contest? Uh, hey, I'm the police tonight on the 3x3, three three, Dingus, so remember, oh, you're doing your best behavior, because my bicycle is lubed. Over. Okay. All right, here's Tom's IMDb one. Young people traveling with backpacks... Take on missions for the CIA. <laughs> uh, backpackers. I also no. You're that's it. That's Dingus's hint for what it sounds like. Knapsackers. Packers. Knapsackers. I like I like the idea that Tom found this movie because it's about people wearing backpacks, which I'm I'm assuming he found because he was like, "Hey, I better research uh, Everest here." Hmm. Movies about people with backpacks on. What IMDb, the? Yeah, IMDb keyword search backpack. Yeah, no, but I, but I like that That's it's Tom's. young people traveling with backpacks. They're not wearing yeah. them. They're just like no. the backpack sits next to me. Yeah. <laughs> I buy a seat for it. All right, so Kelly one. We're both stumped. Uh, so, how can we see this movie about young people traveling with backpacks who do missions for the CIA? <laughs> Wait, that's the contest is now. How do you get to see the movie? Well, what is the what is the movie? Yeah, so we can see it. Yeah, we need to know the, t- the title of it to see you, it. You can see it if you take a backpack and you travel with it to the theater, Tom. <laughs> Which is killing me. What What's the name of it? I feel like. Uh, I, I should That's what this. the CIA will take seriously if they want you to take on missions for them. But it's called Nomads. Oh, oh of course, right. I was hoping you'd make that noise. Or, ooh! <laughs> but I'll settle for second. Well, I looked it up. It's because uh, uh, the, there's a John McTiernan movie called Nomads with Pierce Brosnan uh, and right. Leslie Ann Warren and Adam Ant that I really liked. Wow. <laughs> uh, 
that I don't think holds up. Um, and then that it is not that nomads, just so people know. Yeah. Wait, and then the, yeah, so I I thought you meant that one, and then it's like the one for that is a French anthropologist moves to Los Angeles and is followed by the evil spirits of an extinct tribe he once uncovered. So it's kind of like the other one in that the writer considers the first part the interesting part, like. It's young people traveling with backpacks take on missions. So. Archaeologist moves to L.A. Sure. Yeah, right, right. And if you think that's crazy, that's By the way, yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, all right. So, do you have a more fair contest for me and Dingus? Yeah, that was all just for fun. Now okay. for the serious business. All right. Okay, I am now because this one is sort of the writing's really funny. I'm insisting on a rule where you have to wait till I say. Name it until okay. you name it. Like you can't just shout it out in the middle. You have to hear the entire opsis okay. of it, and Good, then I like this. And then I say name it, and then the first person to name it wins this contest, and then the prize will be decided a year from now <laughs> on a different podcast that's not ours. Whilst crossing a ledge, comma, up at Dingus already knows this. Four thousand feet above the earth. Gabe's friend's equipment fails to work, and she slips out of his hand, falling to the ground. Almost a year later, Gabe is asked to go back to the same mountain range and rescue a group of, quote, stranded, quote, people. The only catch is that these so-called, quote, stranded, quote, people are in fact looking for three boxes filled with $100 million, and they need a mountain ranger to lead them to them. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Name it! Dingus, I'm three. Oh, I was going to do, Dingus and I could have done it in stereo. But Dingus, you got it. Very good. I think still think he would have won, even if he played fair. Right. Because I think when I said whilst, he was was already going, Clever! Because no, how many themed ones are there, really, of this game? Well, yeah, well very, Kelly, I'm speaking of hanging from cliffs. Dingus, what did we see this week? Well, this week we saw Everest. Mm. Good win, a, by the way, Dingus. On the, a 2015 British-American 3D disaster drama adventure thriller movie about the 1996 Mount Everest climbing disaster. It was directed by Balthazar Kormakar, and written by William Nicholson and Simon Beaufoy. It stars Naoko Mori. Is that who I think it is? Emily Watson. (laughs) Jason Clark. Michael (laughs) Kelly. Michael Kelly. And John Hawks. Everest is rated PG-13 for intense peril and... Disturbing images. Uh, Everest the- hasn't really opened, so we can't talk about its box office. Uh, Universal did a thing where they they put it out into about 500 theaters that are only premium screens, like IMAX. Um, we were unable to find it here in Los Angeles in a non-3D format, so I go back to a 3D movie. Uh, you know, after after swearing off of them, I, I saw another 3D movie. So uh, we'll know more uh, next weekend after uh, it's opened wider about how well it does. But the limited release seems to be working for Universal. 
Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 73% of the reviews are positive. On Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is 64. Kelly Wan, what do those numbers mean? What was the first number? 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that is the height at which you'll fall uh, one in four times off Everest. But if you try three more times, you'll be fine. But you'll be Kelly, dead. Kelly Wan, do you know that Everest is not the tallest mountain in the world? What? I thought it was uh, it was that of the Marineris Trench. Nope. It's not the tallest mountain. That's a true fact. Wait, is it Monarch, Is it Kilimanjaro? No, I don't even... I think that's a... that's. I'm pretty sure that's small potatoes. Is that even one of the seven? I don't think I can name the seven summits. Tom, I'm pretty sure it's a mountain, all right? Well, there's two ways of naming what what you mean by tall. I, I No, no, there's not, dingus. Tall means tall. High means high, and tall means tall. Everest is not mm. the tallest mountain. It's the highest mountain. Ah, all right. Oh. That's what I meant. I heard that, bro. That's how I feel right now. So there you go. That's, that's, that's all the pedantry I have for tonight, I'm afraid. Wait, what's the difference? Well, uh, the the, the, tall, the the tall the the mountain's tallness is from the base to the tip. Right. Uh, a mountain's right. height is how high it is above sea level. Flaccid. Right. No, all mountains, Kelly Wander, erect. There's no such thing as a flaccid mm. mountain. That that would be. Uh, what would that be? Circumcised. You never measure. You never measure just the tip unless it's an iceberg. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the uh, tallest mountain is actually. Uh, is it Mauna Kea? It's it's Hawaii because mo- most of it's underwater. So. But actually, if you want to know what the tallest mountain is that's entirely above sea level, it's the recently renamed uh, Denali. Which Denali. Is Mount McKinley in Alaska. Right. Named I love him in parents. Oh. What? So, Kelly Wand, can you uh, give us not a synopsis of the, the disaster in 96, because that might be disrespectful. What we want from you, Kelly Wand, is a synopsis of the movie about the disaster. Can you appreciate the distinction there? Oh, it's kind of like the distinction between tallest and uh, highest, exactly. or between Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic numbers. There's a lot of subtlety between the two, yeah. So, uh, what would it's you like, call it if you were talking about the movie and not the actual disaster? Oh, if I was talking about it, say, in a wind chill sense versus temperature, mm. I would call it, do you have any guesses since he lost the last game? Ever stops us. Oh, you know what? What else it's are you going to do? How can someone so good at science be so bad at this? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> Everopsis, clearly. Oh, very good. You must have the same blindness problem t- James Brolin has. <laughs> I was going to call it Tom Brolin. <laughs> I know. He James a lot. James, reminds me of you. James and Tom Brolin, my favorite brothers. I'm from the South, too. That's how Tom talks now. In my James. face. James Brolin. We can call him James. Okay, fine. I mean, James it's is just son of word Josh for Jeff. Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Brolin, his dad. It's the Brolins. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're, uh, they're cousin Joe. Yeah, they're like the Baldwins. There's a whole bunch of Brolins, Dingus. <laughs> Brolin Stones, don't date Kate Moss. Ooh. That's the level at which the opsis is going to be. So I, I look forward to this. I do not look forward to this. I look up to it. You know how sometimes I go, this was a rush job, and then it's like, there's still a couple good parts. Mm-hmm. This, this was a rush job. <laughs> Without the good parts. Wait, wait. <clears throat> temper, temper the expectations. I like that. I'll do what I... It's my only hope. Mm-hmm. Everopsis. Some words are all. 
Everest is a large mountain with some monks on it. But people have always been trying to climb it since they themselves can't find inner peace. One in four die in the attempt. Three in four refuse to participate in the survey. Six in four died to due to mathematical error. Then in 1996, famous climber and Terminator John Connor managed to get 19 people up and down it without losing any. A bunch of other mountain climbing corporations all went cha-ching. This is the story of how people who worked for those corporations... A bunch of rich fuckwads to whom they catered, and a mailman all decided they had to do it within the same two-week window for some reason. <laughs> In man's never-ending struggle to insist, weather's stupider than us. John Connor walks on screen and sits beside Jake Gyllenhaal. Some words are all, a place with tents on it on Mount Everest. The time whenever this happened in RL. Jake Gyllenhaal's all, bro, mountains, man, far out, nah, I mean. John Connor's all, oh, I suppose all characters are friends. We should probably establish that in this scene right now to build audience. You stole my journalist, man. Now what am I going to read in the paper tomorrow? Sports? Ugh. <clears throat> Look, I didn't steal him. You can't steal a human. It's actually called kidnapping. Regardless of the victim's age, strangely. No, it's cool. I so don't care. What happened was... No, hey, journalist, schmernalist. <clears throat> what happened was the journalist called me up and said, Hey, you want to steal me from Gyllenhaal? And I said, yeah. No, seriously, you and I are totally cool. I actually got one now, too. Richard Gere's character from Mothman Prophecies. Yep, I got my own journalist. I know a guy. Oh, trade ya. No! I lean over to the mountain sitting beside me and go, Hey, guess what a cool name for the IMDb synopsis for this movie would be? It shrugs, killing a few people. I'm all Cliff's notes. <laughs> Later, John Connor's in his tent using a calculator to estimate how safe it'll be for all the climbers to come up on the same day as planned. And the second he hits the equals button, that causes an avalanche. He bangs a gavel and calls for a meeting of all the mountain-climbing teacher characters at the usual spot, Hubris Point. A tent is erected for the occasion. John Connors all. As we calculate his... Cal <laughs> Damn it. Wow. <laughs> I know. It's not, that's the thing. It's never the hard ones that are flubbable. It's the simples. It's just like the mountain. You think you go, oh, I made it to the top. Great. And then the wind blows you off. That's what reading these is like. John Connors all. As we calculate his avalanche just proved using basic geology. We all try to bring our clients up to the summit tomorrow in the middle of a blizzard. They and we will probably all die. Everyone's all, oh, boo, fuck you, Connor. Oh, being alive's awesome. Boo, boo. <clears throat> I guess I deserve that, but I still say we bring spare oxygen canisters. I hear they can be useful in giant shock attacks. A fat Australian's all. Yeah, me character's Russian, according to Wikipedia. But almost as important, fuck the clients. For 65k, they get an air, too. What do I look like, a blimp? His wife and kids look uncomfortable. John Connor's all. Oh, all right, well, I guess not to sound like a broken record here or anything, but the Falsman reports some of you stealing your clients' coats and flannel underwear and selling it in secret to the Sherpas in exchange for blowjobs from mountain goats. 
the bearded one of the bunch is all, so who are you, Connor, the goat police? All the friends and goats laugh at him. And then they play a drinking game where they stack all the oxygen tanks on top of the heaters, emergency rations, and chirpers and shoot holes in the tanks till everything explodes. Then they pelt John Connor with pitons and grenades till he adjourns the meeting in haste. John Connor's all, I sure hope we know what we're doing. He nods grimly at his refrigerator. I look over at the Yeti sitting beside me and go, Doms and subs never do well with someone of their own kind. It's like the ultimate perversion nobody's tried yet. <laughs> He's not listening. I'm all, hey, shouldn't Sasquatches also be abominable? Seems like you guys are getting kind of pale-roaded. <laughs> he ignores me. I'm all, damn, nothing I say to you seems to matter, Horn. He doesn't say anything. I'm all, what's the matter? Gone yellow? Uh, or snowcat got your tongue? Eventually, my brain plods elsewhere. John Connor finds a tent inside this one with his clients inside it. He's all, right, everybody, I thought of a fun game we can all play. Well, it's a game, anyway. It's called, I'll ask H.E. the same question, and then I'll criticize the answers. Why do you want to climb Mount Everest? Let's start with John Hawks here. Well, I'm broke, so all the blind kids that work at the post office scraped up $65,000 by letting their loved ones starve and stealing it from parcels. I'm actually scared of heights. Told them I want to explore the oceans, but they were pretty insistent about me doing this. Said one of them had had a dream about what happens to me tomorrow that inspired them all to raise the money. And that's the money I'm holding here right now. James Brolin's all... Ah, a mailman holding an envelope. Now I hood everything. Granddad always said if you got a problem you can't solve, help stick a room, bunch of room, pull geese on cat full of rocking chairs. John Connor's all. Jesus, so you just gonna do your men in black three voice for the whole fucking right, whatever. How about you, Father Habakkuk? What's your illy whacker? I wish to scale Everest because I hope to find the remnants of Noah's Ark. Right, that's air at idiot. All right, we're over two for upon what I thought was a pretty simple question. Bay Ling, how about you? I like planting flags on mountaintops for forced light wind to blow off, white man. Really? Really? I've done it six times. Once I do it on Mount Everest, I can finally commit seppuku. Oh, man. Dingus, it's, I'm honoring that woman. Yeah. And Bay Wing. And the Off- mountain. Offering. It's, I, I'm planning a flag. Never mind. Right, that's not an answer. Here's your 65K back. Just kidding on that second part. What about you, James Brolin? Why are you in this blockbuster? I reckon being on top of a mountain size of Texas will make my dick feel bigger. Plus, it's there. All the other characters laugh dutifully. Brolin's all. I meant my dick. It's a non sequitur. The laughs fade. John Connor slow claps like Judd Nelson in Breakfast Club after Molly Ringwald proves she has lipstick. Then he's all, Gyllenhaal, you've been awful quiet since I told you to shut up. What's your character's motivation? Gyllenhaal's all, what? He sticks a syringe in his leg and smiles glassily. I lean over to frozen Jack Nicholson and go, the reason why I want to jump off a sheer precipice is because it's not there. He just rolls his eyes at me. 
The next day at the top of unfortunate turn of events ridge, Jake Gyllenhaal's wall. Damn, guys, no one left a bunch of ropes hanging up here for us to use. Brolin's all. Why would they? Gyllenhaal's all. Anybody bring any? Uh, mine are made of hemp, and I kind of need it for other things. John Hawks is all. Here, we can use my mailbags. The unit production manager cheers. I guess they get across somehow, although it's not in the movie. The next day, high over curious gorge. Roy, can you hear me, Brolin? What? Uh, that's close enough. Now, we need you for some reason to cross this perilous abyss on this rickety ladder here while we watch and try to remember to hold it steady. Uh, anyway, we can use a ladder made out of dry cardboard and why I got to wear stiletto heels and go first. Look, I wouldn't do anything if it wasn't safe. Unless I had you try it out for me first. So here, I'm just going to push that. There you go. That's 5,000 extra, by the way. Five cracking noises later. Look out! I'm jumping up and down and melting this ice with a blowtorch to cause an avalanche. Brolin, hold on to the ladder. You're about to fall a thousand feet, but if you survive the fall and climb the ladder, you'll only be down 980 feet. Brolin's all... Connor, uh, I forgot how to climb on top of something. Uh. John Connor's all, hang on, I'll double the stress on the ladder by walking out there, and then I'll try to throw you off balance by shaking it back and forth. No, just grab the ladder there, pull me in, it's a ladder, just pull me. Hang on, I said my plan first. That night on Hypothermia Plateau, they make it. <laughs> I stab you with flag number seven, White Mountain. <laughs> Looks like my eating this morning was laughably pessimistic. That's great there, Tiger Lily. But as you all know, that blizzard's due in a few minutes, and we just left Mr. James Brolin blind and unattended down there on Mace. <laughs> on Mass Fatality Crag. So if you don't mind. John, wait, it's me. John Hawks' character. Uh, 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 I've been falling behind for undisclosed reasons. Please drag me up to the top at great personal risk. I may not be able to come back here till next month. Well, you do sound totally delirious, and we did leave Brolin blind and unattended down there, and Gyllenhaal, and the rest of me clients, but y'all whining. So, okay, come on, take your time. Oh, uh. <clears throat> John, it's Mrs. Garrett. That blizzard we were expecting now. It's on time. And those spare cans of oxygen missing from the stash up there. They're still missing. Damn. Bloody apes. I mean, terminate. I mean, uh, wind. Damn, wind. Wait, if we're low on oxygen and a storm's coming, isn't wind also oxygen? Seems like our problem's our solution. Hang on, Gyllenhaal's flapping his arms or something. What is it, Jake? Gyllenhaal's all, hang on, everybody, I got an idea. He explodes. One of the climbers is all, look, an explosion, it'll keep us warm. He jumps over the cliff. The rest follows suit. John Connor's all, no, you idiots, the explosion's up here. Why are y'all jumping? Jesus, oh well, I tried me best. He sighs, makes an igloo, and crawls inside. After a couple seconds, it and the ground beneath it crumble away and plummet into the abyss. Meanwhile, in a cabin with Sam Worthington in it, 
An old woman saw. Kira, it's Mrs. Garrett here, dispatcher matriarch here at Mount Everest. I, uh, I have some good news. <laughs> it's some bad news for you. Uh, the good news is we have your husband here on the line. John, is that you? I wasn't listening. It's like you're right here beside me, but handsomer. You're leaving me for someone named Sarah. Well, I suppose I'm glad in a way. I too've met someone, a male man named John Hawks. It sounds funny, but I honestly think you'd like him. First name wise, he's actually a lot like you. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm getting another call from another dispatch matriarch on Everest who says it's about him. Speak soon, I hope. Good night, John. And thank you again for giving me so much to do while you climb. She hangs up. Some words are all, actor Sam Worthington died while filming that <laughs> Could you tell? I lean over to Iceman and go, what about your favorite Ludlum adaptation, The Frosterman Weekend, starring Rut Burhauer? <laughs> <sighs> uh, is there a the end? We haven't. We, we don't know if it's over. I was. Hang on. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> uh, Frosterman. <clears throat> the end. Thanks for the dramatic pause. Uh, all right. So, Kelly, one, did you also see it in three D, like us? Yeah. Are you glad? I see all, no, it was only in 3D. I didn't realize that was their trick. Uh, which is weird because it seems like the 3D wasn't that big a deal. I didn't think like it's a lot of there's a lot of talking and good weather in the movie, and yeah. not that many long shots of the mountain. So I was a little surprised that they thought the 3D was gonna be. Well, they did a lot of 3D right. effects with like little flurries of snow in the foreground and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. Dennis, yeah. were you were you? It's like confetti. You, no. You... Oh, I'm, my name's not Dingus. I'm sorry. What? Were you were you glad of the three D Dingus? Uh, no, quite frankly, I thought the Resident Evil movie we saw had better three D. Yeah, um, it did, and I didn't like this, that movie. You're this, right. Um, the long shots, uh, and I wrote this in my notes even before we went to see it with a friend of ours named Alexandra. Um, the long shots, a lot of that stuff just looked like miniatures. I I, I don't know if it's just that it looks hyper-realistic, even that opening helicopter flight. Um, the later helicopter flight was fine, but that opening helicopter flight, well, it looked, it just looked hyper-realistic. It didn't look, I don't know, even the yaks, the the stuff on the ladders, or not the ladders, but the bridges, the long shots, all looked like little figures being animated in miniature. They looked like miniatures. I, And other than and those silly snow flurries that looked like confetti, um... I don't know, maybe the storm, the speed of the storm was cool, but I, I don't know. I was hoping for some serious vertigo from this movie, and just like, oh, it was so high, this would be the worst, most, there's no way I would ever do something like this, and I didn't think that hardly ever during the movie, like, from the 3D. Well, I like, think they tried it on that. Great angle. Tried it, I think they tried it on James Brolin's ladder cross. That was the only um, part, and that was like a bottomless pit that had no perspective anyway, so there was no point for it being in 3D. That could have just been anywhere. Right. Did the 3D work for you, Tom? 
No, I mean not really. I didn't I didn't mind it as much as I thought I would. Uh, I think having the the IMAX screen sort of compensated for the fact that I was having to deal with 3D. Right. Uh, I was glad it was on IMAX. Like I did enjoy. Uh, I enjoyed the good sound. I, I liked the big picture. Oh, the sound was amazing, yeah. yeah I, I love the photography. I mean, the stuff that you're describing as miniatures, I just thought was a, a great job of putting things in perspective, like how small the base camp was next to the mountains. Um, there would be times where a shot would come up, and you didn't know if it was like the camera right on the ground or the camera, you know, 100 feet in the air, uh, because you didn't have a sense for, right. uh, for, for you know, the, the different size of things when there's this huge mountain looming in, in, the, in the background. Right. Um, so visual, I, I really liked the visuals, even though Kelly Wand, you're right, there wasn't a lot of, uh, like you can watch that, specific. well, you can watch that trailer to Robert Zemeckis' movie, The Walk, and you can totally see, oh, they're, you know, they're all these 3D milking gimmicks it. and these vertigo gimmicks, that, yeah, that they're milking. So I didn't mind that we didn't get that here so much, um, because, I, I don't know, I, I guess I've seen that stupid Walk trailer so many times. But I thought there'd be way more, and I remember the the 3D from Ant-Man, I remember liking that a lot more. Like, I was like, oh, 3D, Ant-Man, whatever, and then I remember kind of coming away like, oh, that was kind of trippy. When he goes well, to, to be it. fair, too, I don't know that, and I've certainly never done this, but I, I've read Krakauer's book, um, I don't know that the, that the the act of climbing Everest really instills vertigo. It's not like standing on the side of a, of a skyscraper. Uh, you know, you're, you're on a... You're on a big mountain, and you're not right. often. I mean, there's there's some parts where there are ledges, uh, but I think for the most part, you're just looking down at your feet, putting one foot in front of the other. Right. Um, and and I think that's part of what uh, Kormakur was going for, with the way he shot it. Uh, Monotony. Well, I mean, you say that, but reading Krakauer's book, and that's something that's hard to get across in a movie. Yeah, but, monotony, but this movie okay. isn't adapted from that. Right. Uh, but that's something that comes across though in Krakauer's book is that a, a lot of uh, a lot of it is monotony, pain. They have that brief uh, that that brief bit where he's explaining about in their brochure they don't describe what it's really like, which is pain, um, and and basically your body just failing, just just the yeah. hypoxia. I mean your your body shutting down. Um, and yeah, you're right, Dingus. I was surprised because I assumed it was based on Krakauer's book, but pretty much everyone who came down and he's in it. Pretty much everyone who came down has written his own book, um, right? Well, uh, so, so I think uh, was was Beck's book credited at the end. I mean, the the screenwriters didn't credit a book; it didn't say based on. But I think there was a specific mention in the credits of of uh, of uh, Beck Weather's book, the guy who well, lost his nose in his hands. Right. right. Well, they, was also, they mentioned the death zone, which I think is a book. Okay. There's also the climb, the one written by the Russian guy who uh, didn't bring up the oxygen. But then his point is in his book: look, all my guys lived, and all that guys died. All that guys guys died, and then he died in an avalanche, like right, like a year after writing the book. Well, not so all his guys out. lived. His his lead, the leader of his expedition died. The Russian guy, not yeah, the guy who wrote the climb. Anatoly, is that who you're talking about? Mm. Yeah. I, I didn't. Who was the leader of? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. He was working with. Jeez, um, uh, I forget what Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name was. Scott Fisher. Uh, I thought he was on. He was. He on was Scott an independent expedition. Scott Fisher was leading an expedition with a group called Mountain Madness. Right. Uh, uh, and and Rob Hall was leading the uh, uh, what adventures? Something adventures? I forget the name. Uh, Adventure consultants. Leading, Adventure. Yeah, they were leading two separate uh, parties. And right. Scott Fisher thought... was the. 
the I thought Anatoly was a part of his crew. I thought Anatoly was a part of uh, Scott's crew. He might have been. I don't know. But he, uh, yeah, I, I know he did write a book as well. But anyway, that, that one of the things, though, that, that that's hard to get across is is just the sheer tedium of, of this sort of thing. And, you know, you can have the actors look sluggish and stuff, and they, they sold it as well as they could. Uh, but I, I really got that sense from reading Krakauer's book that it's not this glamorous, dizzying, vertigo-inducing, spectacular thing. Right. And that once you get to the top, uh, it, it's... I mean, it, it's it's obviously a watershed moment for people who make it up there. But what you have to put your body through and the actual fatigue you feel yeah. uh, right. when you're but up then, there, yeah. Is, but is then that, why do it in 3D? It would be the even larger question then. Well, that's if, a monetary. That's, yeah, to to charge more for the the box office. Or you just fake, or you just find shots that somehow accomplish that. But I didn't see anything else. I did but, wonder. Do you guys want like sometimes when I watched. There would be something in the foreground, and I would wonder: Did they just like CG something in the foreground yeah, to, to justify well. the 3D? Yeah. It's like with you and stunts, like that stuff. I don't always notice. Like to you, it's this. You know, it's like if a if a guy does his own stunts, it's like a waste of their time and energy. And to me, sometimes like CGI mountains is like that because right. in in 3D because it all looks just kind of fake. Well, I I did to, to Dingus uh, your point about the miniatures. I did wonder there were a couple of shots that. That looked not. I don't want to say fake Process. because they, they they made it look good, but that that almost looked like they were shot in a studio. And I come to find out, they did shoot a fair amount of it in a studio. Not a fair amount, but some of it was shot in a studio on a fake mountainside. Yeah, it, um, I think a lot of that stuff looks really. It looks really fake to me. A lot of that mountain stuff looks pretty fake to me. There was like one shot where I was like, "Is that?" And then it, it came out. It snapped out of it, but I didn't. Uh, it was just like one shot. But for the most part, I, I thought it looked great. I mean, it was shot in a mountain in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really did go to Kathmandu, and there were parts of it that were shot lower on Everest. Um, but yeah, all the stuff where Jason Clark dies, that was shot in Pinewood Studios in London uh, on a, a fake mountain that they brought in. Or not a fake mountain, but a fake mountainside that they built with snow. Um, Didn't they leave him on it? By the way, that's fine with me. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with them uh, creating a set and and dressing a set and I don't mind any of that if I'm engaged in the movie that's not that's never going to bother me it bothers me here because I don't like this movie I don't know if we've I don't know if we've come out and said yet but I really don't like this movie mm-hmm. I, don't, well, I don't like it because I, I don't like uh, part, partly because I don't like the way the subject matter is presented partly because I don't really engage with what the uh, the goal of these characters is and partly because I don't think that the movie really presents in a reasonable way. It doesn't map out or give me the a real understanding of what the stakes are in an emotional way. And and that really bothers me about this movie. I mean, there's things that I liked about it, but I really don't like it. Kelly, how do you feel overall? Uh, I mostly agree with Dingus, although I liked some of the frostbite effects at the end, and I also had maybe an advantage over you in that, and maybe, I'm not sure what Dingus's baggage was when he brought, I don't know if he read the book or not, but like, I didn't, and so I kind of went in like not knowing if I was watching a movie about a rescue attempt, or... Like, I assume something right. happens, but maybe they all work. Well, they, like, I don't know. I wasn't sure who lived and who died. I think it plays I, a lot differently, writer. yeah. Like, if you don't know 
the actual details of it if you hadn't yeah. read some of the books. And I'd so, forgotten a lot of it, by the way. So I was with you, Kelly Wanda. I was like, no, wait a minute. Who's going to get killed here? Yeah. yeah. Is this a horror um, movie or an uplifting? Is it like you know, Unbroken or something? I'm in the well, same boat. I, I didn't read Into Thin Air. I haven't read it in the last two decades, I don't think. No. 1996. Yeah, I haven't read it probably since the late 90s. And when they get to the top, and then everything seems awesome, and the weather looks sunny, and, and, and then he goes down to John Hawks, and he's like, all right, I'll take you. Like, he doesn't think about it too long. He's just like, yeah, all right, let's go. We've probably got enough time. Like, well, yeah, the whole it's thing, kind of I mean, the whole thing is a series. Of, I mean, there, it's just a series of bad calls throughout. Right. I mean, and it, it's kind of staggering uh, the number of of influence, the number of things that went wrong that came together at once. Considering, yeah. And I think if it hadn't been for the blizzard, most I don't think this would have happened. I mean, right. the fact that the blizzard arrived when it did, along with all of these other bad calls, basically doomed these, uh, was it eight people that died? Doomed yeah. these eight people. Uh, and, and watching these bad calls happen one after the other, and these, the, you know, like, why wasn't the oxygen up there? Why weren't the ropes hung? Yeah. Why on earth would... Would uh, Rob Hall take Doug Hansen up that late in the game? Right. Uh, you know, why uh, did Beck Weathers misinterpret or ignore the, the explicit instructions he was given to go back down the hill? Right. Uh, so everything falls apart. And I, I, by the way, I really liked this movie, watching it as a classic disaster movie. You know, the formula is you introduce these characters. Uh, back in the olden days of Irwin Allen, this was important too. In, in the, the days of Irwin Allen, you had to have a bunch of celebrities. Here, and I think what Balthazar Kermaker does here, is you have to have a bunch of good actors uh, really selling the emotion. Um, and for the most part, I, I thought they, they did great. Uh, and what you have as as the movie goes on is just thing after thing goes wrong, and a terrible thing happens, and some of them live and some of them die. Uh, so as a kid who grew up on Irwin Allen movies, I really like this kind of modern-day take on, on a disaster movie. Uh I agree with some of what you said. The acting is really good. I think I was having trouble understanding, unlike in an Irwin Allen movie, like why all this was happening, like why they, like why the ropes were supposed to be there, and why, um, like why the oxygen thing wasn't just simply resolved. Like, okay, we're gonna need him, or they're gonna be up there, or like, did the guy just steal him because he needed him and didn't think he was gonna need him? Um. And also just like how close the blizzard was, which point do they got to get to? I, I don't know. I just had trouble visualizing it. Like Dingus had trouble visualizing it emotionally. I was having trouble visualizing it, visualizing it like spatially, and that was kind of annoying me and detracting from. I don't. I don't know that. So, I don't know that some of these were that all of these were ever answered. Like I don't know that anybody is knows why the ropes weren't hung, well, which, is, which is really the beginning of the end. Uh, right. The fact that they they were delayed so long waiting for the ropes to get hung. Is where everything sort of accordioned behind them. Yeah. The other problems sort of mushroomed out of that. Uh, because the guy with the rope took the, the cappuccino check up the mountain instead of hanging the rope, right? Uh, I don't know. Is that is that? Yeah, what? I think it's pretty clear when he's walking away with her after after she convinces him to take her up. I mean, you see the rope hanging off of the back of his backpack, and it's referenced again in the later shot. I think it's. Well, no, I meant, I meant. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, I meant in the actual events. I don't, oh, I don't think I it was ever resolved why 
maybe that was what the movie was interpreting. Right, but like oh, in okay. a perfect storm, you kind of like it just it just assumes certain things, I and mean, that's why the families of the George Clooney character got upset because they just basically go, well, "He made them all do it," and he's right. like, "Gotta do it, fuck you, Storm." And they just that's how the movie like fictionalizes that account. And in this, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like they don't come up with a reason. It's just like you're there when they discover the Blair Witch. Reasonings. Well, it's basically. also you know you they don't know the reason, so in a way we don't know the reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't know their biopic either. And it's partly why so, I think so many books have been written about it is this this shouldn't have happened, and there right. were so many different perspectives on why it happened, how it could have been avoided. Um, I think Crack Hours is the, is the most well known, uh, but some of the other accounts uh, take issue with some of the uh, conclusions that Crack Hour draws. Right. Uh, some of his observations. So a lot of this is still contested. Um, yeah, and and the movie just presents it. It's not the movie isn't sort of an analysis of why it happened. Right. It's just kind of presenting it. Here's right. this terrible thing that's gone wrong. These guys are screwed. Now you're going to watch some of them die. It's a really interesting handling of Krakauer because he's barely in the movie, and they kind of set it up. Like I would have assumed it was just based on his book because it was this huge phenomenon. Well, the but thing, the, and, and this is kind of a problem with his book is Krakauer. He kind of did everything right. He got up there. He got down. Right. He was at the base camp. He, he he was physically incapable of going out to, to rescue people. So in a way, he was kind of removed from the he action. Was there, but he, he wasn't a participant in in the things right. in the worst parts of it. Um, and he acknowledges that in the book. I mean, yeah. So I, I think the movie isn't isn't trying to oversell him. I mean, that that was kind right. of his role. He was one of the guys who knew what he was in for, who did it right. Uh, and who kind of was a bystander as it was all falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, and he disappears once he's out of the once he's in the clear. It's no not his story at all. Like he's not like in the camp going. Oh, good to figure. Well, Dingus, I want to know what. So uh, you said you didn't like, or you took issue with how it was presented, or your uh, you implied that it was something about it was distasteful. I want to hear more about that. I don't know. That, I don't know if I said distasteful. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I, well, I'm paraphrasing. Me, I guess. If I were going to say distasteful, I guess it's more the um, the philosophy of this idea that I'm supposed to feel this great amount of um, I don't know angst or uh, empathy for people who are just deciding we're going to risk our yeah. lives for recreation, and I'm supposed to feel a great tragedy has happened because yeah. no, I mean I I loved a, a couple of the characters. I I mean I. I I mean, I certainly, I, I, I certainly feel for Yasuko. I certainly feel for Doug, but you're, you're deciding to risk your life for recreation, yeah. prove something to a couple of elementary school kids, and by the way, Beck is leaving his children. I mean, yes, he's suffering from some sort of depression, and it only goes away when he's risking his life for recreation. I, why am mm. I supposed to feel that? Why am I supposed to feel this overwhelming sense of tragedy for these people who are going out? skiing and they break their leg and then they die i'm sorry you decided to climb everest for fun right you decided to spend and risk your life and mortgage your future to do that and put your family at risk and risk your children's lives and their future to do this and i'm supposed to feel bad for you i, I mean i i know that's i respect this but good for you go up everest but if you die up there you die up there why am i supposed to feel terrible about that I mean, I cried at the end because I'm a, you know, I'm a sap. But in in the end, when I'm sort of distilling this, I I don't know why I'm supposed to feel like this is a tragedy. 
I mean, it's I, different I, from I, like I, the I, idle rich versus like the Titanic. Rob, I, I think Rob, even though he's leaving his pregnant wife, who's also a, a mountain climber, this is his livelihood, and this is what he's doing to make a living. Fine. Um, I guess there's a separate partition for him, but for somebody like Beck or for for Doug, who's leaving his divorced wife and his children to do this for the second time in a row and risk his life. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's tasteful. But that's not just, I mean, you're saying that's a, how what was the distasteful way to present that? Cause that's who these people well, no, were. I, like it's I presenting don't think I mean distasteful. Or, I just don't mean that. I just mean, I don't know. I, I just don't find it a compelling. And I don't know, I, you know, Tom, I remember reading into the, into thin air and feeling Utterly different emotions about this, but watching this about Chris McCandless. Like, hmm? About Chris McCandless. Oh no, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Into the Wild. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, Into Thin Air. Um, into the John Krakauer book. Isn't that it? Isn't it called? Yeah. So I'm sorry. What, what I was misinterpreting because what you're describing, Dinga. I'm, go on, because I do want to respond to what you're saying. I don't no, go, you you go ahead. Jump on in. So what what you're describing, uh, I, I think it's a little harsh, and I don't quite understand it because uh, I think Krakauer didn't Krakauer also write Into the Wild? Yeah. So. So what you're describing, I feel about someone like Christopher McCandless, who wasn't equipped to do what he did, you know, to just go out in the, the woods and live this life off the grid and away from people, and he got poisoned by bad seeds and basically died because he couldn't cross a river. And he was some poor kid who didn't know any better. Uh, and I don't feel a lot of sympathy for Chris McCandless, um, even though what happened to him was terrible, and I feel bad for it. Um, right. But I think mountain climbers like this... I have a very different sense about this, and I do – you know, people do dangerous, brave things, and there's a thin line between dangerous and stupid and brave, uh, <laughs> and Everest is an institution. I mean it's one of mankind's significant endeavors that we reach the highest point on the planet, uh, and the fact that people want to attain that, that that's significant to people, I think is important. I mean, people have different spiritual callings, and for some people, it's to reach the highest point on the planet. Um, and is that destructive sometimes? Sure. Do they deserve death? Of course not, and I don't think you're saying that. Uh, no, no. But I don't think it makes their no, deaths any less terrible. No, uh, but he's saying they know the risks. It's, of course they know the risks, right. And, and sometimes the risk goes goes horribly wrong, like it did here, and they die. And it's terrible. Right. I mean, I still it's, think it's terrible that they died. Well, right, but so it's one too. Like, but I, I would draw a line between this and what is actual uh, exploration and discovery, like we read about in Blind Descent. Um, I mean, th there's there's this effort to find something that is absolutely singular. This is a bunch of tourists, and, and they, they die. Tom, it's Jurassic World. These guys have kind of have it coming to them a little more. I mean, yeah, wow, I think that's really harsh. No, I mean, some people, no, nobody thinks they're discovering Everest. They're going to an important, a milestone on the planet, the highest point. They're, yeah, and, and they're putting people, their lives in the... And to in some the, people, that is very significant, right, obviously. But, and and the, the fact what they put their bodies through, I mean, yes, it's not something that you or I would do, and it's not something I have any desire to do. But I don't, I don't judge people who, who feel that that's hugely important to them. Just like I don't judge people who want to, you know, dive to the deepest point in the ocean. Or no, but Tom, it's one thing if you, if you, if that's important to you, and then you mm -hmm. become like the like Rob Hall or someone, and you master that thing, and you go right. up it, and then it's another thing if you're get it like take 
civilians up there. Like that's well, that's do you a way. Guys feel, okay, let me put it this way. Do you guys feel the same way about Yusuko Namba? Um. So to the Obviously extent, obviously not. Because I mean, well, do you? I mean, she went through all. She hit all seven summits. Do you feel that she? Do you, Do you have the same feeling about her that, that well, you yes. do about? Because okay. she knew that risk was there seven times. She her luck could have run out any time. It's the same thing. It's I guess not. I'm not clear what you're saying. You're saying I'm you not, don't feel bad that they died. I mean, that's kind of I'm, what I'm hearing I, you guys I, say. I'm saying I feel bad, but it seems weird that it, it's put it this way. It's a different kind of tragedy, and it's a lesser tragedy than when someone dies because, like, say they're on the Titanic or something, or even people who just like like at Pompeii, where they're just like there, and then the elements just cover them up, and they had no choice in the matter. I don't, I don't disagree. It's a different choice. I don't disagree. It's not a, it's not a different tragedy. Kind of tragedy. It's, it's tragic. But this is not a tragedy. I mean, well, okay. If these we want to people, roll out the literary term, right? I mean, we can suicide. Use whatever word that's we what we're want. doing. It's that's a terrible thing. About. It's a terrible thing that happened. I'm not saying I'm not, I didn't bring up tragedy. I think it's terrible that they died. And I hear you guys saying that you don't feel that way because they did something dangerous that you feel is foolish. We feel different, and we feel less so than if, say, it had been like they were total victim like they had made no choice like through no fault of their own they got stuck somewhere right i mean nobody's saying that right of course different people die different ways these are people who died doing something dangerous right right yeah (laughs) i don't see see why that makes them dying i don't see why that makes their their death any less terrible or or affecting to you well, are I mean, all deaths I mean, equally terrible to you? Is it anyone oh, who died? Like, is Hitler's death as terrible as... Oh, good no, lord. Really, yeah. Kelly Wand? Really? No, I'm well, just, that's what you're saying. saying. You're rating terribleness. No, I'm not. You guys are. I'm the one saying th- this works you're for say, me. You're I mean, putting that word, those words in our mouths. You're saying talking, we're well, saying... I guess because I don't less, understand what you're saying. You guys are saying that because it's risky, because they knew the risks, because it's dangerous, it, and it could you could argue it's foolish... I don't think you're saying they deserved it. I guess I don't quite understand no, what you're no, saying. No, no, no. It's, it's, you're it's saying not, it's not as terrible as if somebody died because a safe fell on his head. No, I'm not rating their deaths. I'm rating well, – Kelly the, was. Kelly I'm, was. I'm rating no, the, I'm quoting Tom who's misquoting us. Well, I'm just saying I don't understand you guys. I mean I don't understand why it's – I'm rating less. the movie. I'm rating watching a movie about a bunch of people who choose to go on a tourism recreation thing that is death-defying and die because – and they know they're – there's a very good chance that they're going to die on their right. tourism. Right. Th- that's not – I'm not going to rate that as as this tragic experience that I'm watching on a movie, and it's hard for me to become engaged in that. And I understand that I'm watching a real story about these people who took on this task, and I understand what you're saying. You know, They try to lay the groundwork with the way Jason Brolin, James Brolin, Josh Brolin talks about <laughs> – um, you know, this, this cloud over his head is being depressed and how this changes his life. And then later on, his life is completely changed. I understand all of that. But I'm talking just evaluating the story of the movie. It's a bunch of tourists and some of them got killed. It was extremely dangerous, which would be no different unqualified. than, than a, a bungee jumper in New Zealand cracking his head open. And I would feel terrible about that, too. I hate human life being lost. But as far as watching a movie is concerned, I'm not evaluating whether or not they should have died or not or whether it's a terrible thing that they died. I, I feel horrible that they died. I feel horrible for the family and the children that they left behind. But we're watching a recreation, and they died during it, and they knew they could die during it. So I feel as horrible for their deaths as everyone else who died trying to climb the mountain. 
it, it's like, just oh, the point yeah. of view of, of watching the movie and, and what I think the movie is asking me to feel. And I, I didn't get engaged in that way because of, because of this simple fact that I'm trying to convey. It's not rating deaths. It's just they made a choice to do something extremely yeah. risky. I understand what you're saying, Tom, that this is, this is, a, this is a drive. This is that exploration. Yeah. yeah, I understand. And we all have, and I share it. But and I admire their courage. I just question their judgment. Well, wait, let Dingus finish because I, I want to know what Dingus is getting at because I don't think I understand. So let Dingus finish. But I, but for instance, I certainly don't feel the same way I felt about the way um, an astronaut died in the movie Gravity. I, I, I simply don't feel the same way, and that's entirely fictional. I, I feel terrible that these people actually died. I feel I feel horrible about that. But as far as just evaluating a movie. I'm not evaluating a document. I'm evaluating a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people decided to go on a tourist trip and they died, knowing that they probably would or probably could. No, 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 no. I don't know. Yeah, they probably could. Yes, not probably would. Uh, thousands of people go up Everest right. and it's safe. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So, I, I did, so Dingus, to your point, though, I, I think the movie agrees with you, by the way. And, and I think the events and the perspective most people have when they look at those events agree with you. At one point, someone says in the movie, I think it's Jake Gyllenhaal's character, says if you can't get up the mountain yourself, you shouldn't yeah. be there. Right. And I think right. that's the movie's perspective. But um, he does too. And that, by the way, I don't understand what he was doing. Uh, and that's the thing is that's another – you know, the fact that all these terrible things happened at the same time. You know, Scott Fisher's bad decisions, all these other bad decisions, yeah. that's the mystifying one to me. Right, right. Um, but thing is, I think the movie agrees with you, uh, except that some of us feel that it does make an effective story. Uh, okay. And, and uh, yeah, so these people – died uh you know these people weren't qualified to be there and some of them died and they took with them people who were qualified to be there exactly and i think the tragedy of it uh and i will use the word tragedy uh is jason uh, rob hall probably thought he was sharing a really important thing with people like he probably thought that i mean it was important enough to him that he wanted other people to experience it and he went mm. out of his way to try to take care of them, and he did a terrible job in this instance, and many of them died. And I think he was a qualified climber. Uh, for the most part, he knew what he was doing. And the fact that he ended this way, I do feel is tragic. Um, yeah. I mean, I felt terrible for him, and certainly that it was very uh, – you know, it makes me think of the, the calls from cell phones on 9-11 with people in the hijacked planes. Right. You know, him talking to his wife. That, that, that was very affecting to me. And that, that yeah. really happened. That's how that happened. His wife got to say goodbye to him by them holding up the phone, the satellite phone, uh, to the walkie-talkie. Yeah, Krakauer published that, and the wife got mad about it, that he'd published it. So that was all, like, verbatim. And, and you know, I actually agree with you, Tom, and I said that earlier, that I would, sing, I would put Rob in a slightly different category because this yeah. is what he's doing to make a living. Right. Um, well, and Yusuko Namba, too, because she, yeah. uh, you know, the problem with her, she would have lived if she hadn't been stuck with people who, you know, she should have been parter- partnered with a qualified mountain climber. And if she had been, you know, she was older, uh, someone could have helped her down there. But she yeah. was stuck with people who weren't qualified. She should not have died. Um, no. And by no fault of her own, by the way. I mean, maybe she should have 
chosen uh, better partners. Uh, but she was an experienced climber who knew what she was doing, who, if she'd been paired with a correct partner, would have been rescued, would have been uh, brought down alive. Um, I thought the main problem for her was that the there was no uh, oxygen. Oh, well, I think the main problem is that you can get down with no oxygen. I mean, someone will have to help you. Uh, the main problem was that so many people didn't have oxygen and just sat down. Oh. And no one could bring them oxygen. Uh, no one could share, you know, the, the store of oxygen. The Russian guy, you can climb Mount Everest without oxygen. It's just more difficult. Um, yeah, like that was a problem for her, but it could have been addressed if she had a good partner and if other people weren't scrambling to try to help everyone else. You know, she died, by the way, because the rescuers who went to uh, pick up uh, the other ones who were there with her, uh, they thought she was, I mean, she was dead. The, right. the other people with her were rescued. And the only reason Beck wasn't picked up, uh, Beck Weathers, they didn't see him. Mm. Um. Yeah, so I, I don't know what I'm saying here. And the, I'm just, well, then, I, I do listen, feel like I do feel that it's. It, I mean, yeah, technically it's not a tragedy, but the the fact that she got dragged down. I mean, this I, I was, you know, that moment when he says, "I'm so proud of you on the mountaintop," that was really touching. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I like that too. I mean, yeah, she's my and, favorite and character were, in this movie. I love you. I love you, Sukunama. And and, and and the fact that these two characters, you know, Rob Hall and Yusukunamba, uh, those guys shouldn't have died. Right. Yeah, they got screwed over by the white man. And it's that's not only like that. It, Rob made a horrible decision. And I yeah. think that, that his decision to take Doug up to the summit, as far as this movie is concerned, and, and delay their turnaround by two hours, he, they needed a leader. They needed him to lead them down. Right. Yep, no, it was a him, bad choice, yeah. And, and he, he's the reason, and I feel terrible for him. I feel terrible. Well, you say but he's the he's, reason. I, I, would, I would posit that the, the blizzard is the reason. They could have survived all of these mishaps if it hadn't been for the blizzard and uh the the but, blizzard well, is, is what doomed them all i think but if but he had, had led them down the mountain if he had done the turnaround at two yep, as right. was his hard as was his hard out right. made a speech about about thing, i think that that a lot more people would have survived oh all of them would have sur- survived i mean if, right it wouldn't have been an issue they wouldn't have been up there when the blizzard hit yeah absolutely exactly but that was his a mistake, and I understand why he made the mistake. I understand that he made it for Doug, um, but it, you can see it coming. You can see that that's you know that is his. I don't know if you want to call it a tragic flaw or a tragic mistake or whatever it is. Um, but part of what you're talking about, Tom, I think is absolutely right that he wanted to bring this to like to the common man or to the man who who could not or the woman who could not do it on their own the way that Jake Gyllenhaal's character said they should have. And I think that's why Doug Hansen was so important to him. You know, that, that right there was his tragic flaw. It wasn't just any old person. Right. Doug Hansen represented, you know, getting a mailman to the top of Everest. Yeah. Right. Uh, so he died again, trying. I think if, uh, you know, I think if a blizzard hadn't come, he would have been able to get him down off of the top. Uh, well, he died succeeding. Like they all got there. If that was what, that's the part he wanted to get. They did do it. Uh, Beck Weathers would disagree with you, Kelly Wand. Well, yeah. But that was another uh, weird thing was they were supposed to send other guys for him and they never showed up. Like, but he was there and he wasn't like, I, I guess at the time they didn't know that his eye operation. Well, there's, there's a point too where there's a point too, like Doug Hansen went up there. Uh, no, not Doug, uh, uh, Andy Harris, Harold, uh, Harold, he went up there. His, his real name is Andy Harris. I think he went up there to get uh, uh, Rob Hall, and he died. Right. You know, some of the rescuers 
trying to die trying. Yeah, exactly. Um, I got a sense during that whole fuck. the whole sense where where that particular character is testing the oxygen bottles that he might have been getting a little hypoxia going on and not being able to test them properly. I mean, I, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with that. I didn't think he was thinking correctly. And then when later on he takes off his jacket and just slips off the edge, it's clear that he's undergoing some severe hypoxia. And I wondered if it wasn't happening yeah. before then when he was testing the oxygen bottles and that they were actually fine. But And and I forget who was going back down the mountain and saying, you need. To, I think it was actually Krakauer. Michael Kelly saying, you need to test them again. I've tested them twice. Leave me alone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the bottles, you mean? Yeah. Well, uh, the yeah, so uh, Rob Hall's bottle, uh, I, I believe, uh, actually was frozen. Like, he actually couldn't get it open. There was yeah. oxygen in there. But uh, I mean the the, four, the the bottles that were supposed to be stowed on the south. Oh, right, 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 right. That he was testing. He was standing there testing all of them. This one's empty. This one's empty. This one's right, empty. Right, right, right. And as, as Krakauer goes down, he's like, test them again. I tested them twice. I right. got the sense that that guy was already doing a little bit of the Michael Bean abyss thing. Oh, uh, yeah, he could have. Yeah, I don't know. And the thing is, we don't know because the only eyewitness didn't make it down. Uh, right. Yeah. But it... Yeah, it was just a clusterfuck of all these bad luck things. But the, the other thing too is like, why do they all have to go up in the same two week period? Like, uh, because it, it really is that narrow a window of, of good weather. Uh, it, it, as far as just the, the entire year. The weather. Yep. Yep. Entire year. Oh, because I thought it was literally like a Jaws level. It may not be it's the entire Fourth of July. No, no, no. It's not. It, it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely a climate issue. Um, so if they just had a cap, a quota, like a solid quota, like you can only have 30 people on the mountain. Well, I think – I mean I do think in the wake of this – because by the way, every 20 years there are disasters on Everest, but it's just Sherpas that die, so nobody cares. Right. Um, <laughs> after this happened, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that things kind of changed for how Everest works. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Um, but I think there were very different repercussions – from this incident than just, you know, 16 Sherpas getting killed like happened uh, a few years ago, I think. How do you feel about the procedure of it as far as uh, letting us know where where each camp was, where everybody is in relation to each other, why Sam Worthington can jog over from this mountain to this camp but can't run up the mountain? I mean, how do you feel about how all that was laid out? Oh, it didn't occur. Yeah, I, I just thought that Sam Worthington was just sort of lateral to them. And it was relatively easy for him to get to the base camp, but going up the mountain into, you know, the death zone would have been difficult for him. But I actually liked that in the same way that I like, you know, in the Titanic, when they show the different rooms and the different flooding chambers, or, or Tower Inferno, they show it's on the different floors. Um, you know, to have a disaster, you have to establish a place. Right, uh, right, right. So I really liked that stuff. Uh, I don't know how faithful it was, but I liked I liked how the, the base camps got progressively sort of more modest uh you know the, the the base camp at the at the bottom there's a lot of activity and there's trash on the ground and as you go to the camps higher and higher there are fewer and fewer people fewer tents uh it's more snowy it's more desolate uh i, I really like how it laid out everest for the audience i think i wish this had been a Werner herzog movie well there i mean another example of this kind of thing is what happened to uh timothy treadwell and Werner herzog's grizzly man Right. Tells a similar story. A guy who knew the risks, who did stupid things, but was following a calling. Terrible thing happened to him. So there's kind of a Werner Herzog movie about this sort of incident. Um, 
But yeah, you're right, Kelly Wand. It would have. So the thing is, this does this does play like a Hollywood thriller, though. Uh, yeah, and there's it's. I mean, it's it is the like, classic disaster movie formula. It's it's not a, a, a contemplation of the nature of man, no, no, which no. is what Herzog would have done. It also right. almost becomes a horror movie for me at the end. At a certain point in the movie, it felt like a horror movie to me. Because just like the bodies being frozen and, and what happens to Beckweather's hands and stuff, like all of that. That the way Doug goes over the edge, the way oh yeah 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 Hell goes uh, over the edge, yeah. the 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 frightening nature of the storm, the speed of the storm, the, the timing. That, yeah, it really became a horror movie. It, yeah. it was a weird thing that happened, and it was really abrupt too. Like it's you're an hour and a half into the movie, and everyone's all smiles and like, "Yep, got this flag planted," and then like the characters are still kind of like we we're fine let's we already got to the top and and actually that was sort of effective i kind of would think this where i was kind of like the fact that i didn't know it was going to happen by that point i was going oh yeah this is that kind of movie okay good right and then uh i don't know and there's surprises if you pretend it's fiction tom like i thought brolin was going to be the first one down oh like, sure like the first casualty i mean right yeah right. like yeah, like even when I go, oh, it's a true story. Oh, so this is the dumb guy. And he would only be portrayed this – because right after straight out of Compton, like anyone who's portrayed unsympathetically is either no longer living or not part of the movie. <laughs> so I go, based on straight out of Compton, which I see as the bookend to this film, obviously James Bond is going to get – in wow. the classic disaster movie since, right? He's the asshole yeah. guy who's only looking out for right, himself, right, who's right. going to end up kicking someone down so that he can live. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, the rich bitch, too. It does yeah. seem like that's the setup, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So on that on that level, I was kind yeah, of Yeah, the like, moment he barks at Jason Clark, that's why I paid you $65,000. You know he's a bad guy in a normal right. disaster yeah. movie. Right, right. But I had to be told by the end credits, and maybe I was just peeing at the wrong time. You know, that's my my signature move. But like when it said eight people died during it, I was like, wait, I thought it was Gyllenhaal. Like it did. I didn't. It didn't feel like eight, even while I was watching the movie. I felt like I missed a couple deaths. Uh, are we wrong? Isn't it eight? At least I would think. I mean, but yeah, they leave it. Yeah. yeah, they leave everything up there. And by the way, there were three. Uh, I think Tibetan climbers on the other side of the mountain who died that day as well. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> so they don't. That's eleven, but it's called a completely eight. separate incident. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. Weird. So we had it. So Rob Hall, Scott Fisher, Beck Weathers, Yusuke Namba, Doug Hansen. Um, that's that's five. By the way, three Asians, incidentally. Did you say Harold or Andy or whatever? Uh, Andy Harris, Harold uh, is six. Man, we're jerks if we can't think of the other ones. Maybe some characters got cut from the movie. See, Tom? That can't be true. Uh, You're no, the worst of sure all of us. But you know what? Uh, it's like, the more I talk about Tom, I don't think we were, we were really disagreeing earlier. I think it's just a semantics thing. Like, Dingus and I, like, there is the human drama element of, oh, there's, it's a bunch of people on a storm. When let me, a, let me tell mountain. you guys, yeah, let me tell you guys, like, how I watch movies, because I love watching horror movies, by the way. Right. Horror movies, when people die, I think it's funny. I love it. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I love seeing an annoying character suffer some gory death. And sometimes a stupid horror movie actually wants me to care about the character, and I don't, and I'm laughing right. at the movie. So I watch so many movies where, where characters get killed, and I don't care about them, and I, and I like them getting killed because, because there's – because the movie is stupid, like, uh, so that when I see something like this, you know, Dingus, you talk about kind of being removed from it emotionally. Uh, 
you know, I love this kind of thing where I actually do care about the characters, uh, and it works for me. Uh, but what if it hadn't been based on a true story, and you'd gone, and it was just like, oh, some some rich people get stuck on a mountain, what's going to happen? Like, and it had been like, uh, what was that one we saw where it was all caves? And the one guy. Oh yeah, the cave or no? Yeah, right. The underwater caves. Yeah, um, not with this. Richard Roxburg, uh, Right. Okay, you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, like, if this had been that, because none of us gave a shit about that movie. But if we'd been told, oh, by the way, this all actually happened. In two well, days. that is a good point, Kelly Wan, because when you watch an Irwin Allen movie and people die, like. You can enjoy it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and exactly. they're rich. Yeah. It's yeah. like Shelley Winters playing herself, probably. So I think that colored it for me, too, is just that, that it was based on a true story and it wasn't entirely fictional. Yeah. And it seemed like the movie, and I think maybe this is what Dingus and I were both sensing, is like the movie sort of goes out of its way to show that these are a bunch of fucking ex- – okay, it makes a big point of the mailman and the Japanese lady. But like most of those people are just up there because they – you know, they're super – they're extreme adventurers. Like they're not really supposed to be there. They could be up there doing something else just as dumb. And so we're not as invested in their fate. As if it was just mailmen and Japanese ladies. Well, let me tell you then about my over, because I don't know if you guys have seen Touching the Void. But Touching the Void is much more about two very, very competent mountain climbers stuck in a very difficult situation. Uh, And it's a – I don't think this actually really happens very often, but there's this classic dilemma where – if, if, if two mountain climbers are going to die and one of them can live, do you cut the rope and let the other guy die? Uh, and touching the void is is about that that moral dilemma. You know, do you both die, or do you let your buddy die so that you can live? Uh, and it's two very experienced guys. Uh, I don't think they make any bad. I mean, one of them just like breaks his leg in a fall. It's not like they they made bad decisions or anything. Uh, so touching the void is my over because it is about very different characters in very different situations, but the same kind of situation as, as far as like a mountain disaster uh kelly have you seen touching the void uh i saw enter the void right uh, not the gasper noe thing this is kevin mcdonald who did black sea which uh you did see uh dingus you know touching the void don't you oh yeah it's my over too i watched it this week no so. you can't steal my over sorry <laughs> it, it's on netflix instant and I so think am i that, right did they not do anything like what was the precipitating event in touching the void well i think that the the you're right there's not like the big gaffes that you see here but there are micro decisions that they make okay. like, like like there's this little moment where um um and you, i can't remember it, one of them is named simon um and the one who falls i forget what his name is john maybe i can't remember um but it, he just it, he they're ta- they he, they're going down and he talks about like you know Sticking his is it cramping? That, what's the thing that you like? I think that's stick, right. Stick into the ice, and he hears something weird, and he's like, oh, "Well, let me just do it again." I'm not quite sure I heard it right, and he tries it again. These are really experienced guys. They've done a ton of this, uh, this type of climbing together. Where I forget what they call it, like tandem climbing or dual climbing, where it's just the two of them going up together and then coming back down together. And and but it's just little decisions here and there. Um, but they're not they're not huge. They're not huge lapses in judgment, and even you know, even in, this is a huge moment in their lives. Uh, but that guy who who's the one who breaks his leg and gets the rope cut, I mean, even he understands. I you know, I, we were up there for hours. I was dangling over the edge. 
I probably would have done the same thing. Right. He has a tremendous amount of compassion for his fellow climber, and it's amazing to watch this. And, this, and why it's my over is because watching it again, and I had forgotten the way the way touching the void is put together, um, with this wonderful blend of reenactment and documentary footage and interview footage. Um, and I and I just thought that that was so compelling, watching the way that that they filmed the reenactment stuff. It's so realistic, and it's weird to watch what you think is a documentary. And I'm surprised you chose this because it's not a movie, Tom. Uh, no, it is. All the dramatization makes it a movie. Right. As you're watching them go up the mountain, I keep thinking, well, how's our camera crew here? How's this happening? But they choose guys to do the reenactment that are really good matches for them. They're really good actors, and it's so well-filmed. Uh, it's it's unbelievably compelling. Um, yeah, Touching the Void, man, it really, really works. But I don't think there's any of the huge decision problems um, other than maybe Simon coming down off the mountain without trying to find him again. Uh, and and finding his way down the camp and just being a shattered individual in the way he looks. You know, Kelly, you talk about the frostbite, the way the frostbite looks in uh, Everest. The way he looks, his his visage, and his overall just he just looks like a shattered man when he gets down off the mountain. And then finally, his friend comes down off the mountain too, and he just cannot believe it. And they've even burned the guy's clothes as a way of saying goodbye to him. And the guy gets down off the mountain finally. He's like, "Where are my pants?" Uh, we burned them. Uh, it's, it's touching the void. It, I remember seeing it many years ago, and I think it was because a, a friend of ours named Ryan Horner told us to see it, but I'm not quite sure. Um, but watching it again is certainly a, such a rewarding experience. Kelly Wand, what is your over? My over is the Clint Eastwood movie, The Iger Sanction. It's like a spy movie, and they got to kill each other with pitons. And there's a part where George, Cl- uh, not George Clooney, George Kennedy, <laughs> George Kennedy's watching him on a telescope, and then an old woman comes up to George Kennedy and she's all, "You've been hogging that telescope all day. Why don't you give someone else a chance?" And he's all, "Lady, won't you self screwed? Might do some good." And then he goes back to looking through the telescope with like the same urgency, like it's already forgot about it. So that's my favorite mountain climbing movie. Right. My under is uh, is a movie called Nordwand. What? Kelly Wand, as you would know, is German for North Face, uh, which is a historical thriller about uh, German and Austrian teams in like 1936 or something uh, trying to climb some mountain in the Alps. I forget which one. Uh, but it's the Germans racing against the Austrians, and there's a backdrop of the, the Nazis, uh, this sort of political structure in the background. Um and it, it uh, also based on true events, but it plays very much kind of like a political thriller slash uh, mountain climbing adventure. Uh, so Nord Wand. Uh, wand actually means wall, so because my face is like a wall. Oh, North Wall. Wall-like. Very good. Yeah. Okay, that works. Dingus, what's your under? My under is another Clint Eastwood movie. Since Kelly Wand brought that up, uh, it's a movie called Hereafter, and the reason I choose Hereafter. <laughs> Uh, is because um, I, it was between this and another movie that I felt was disrespectful to an actual disaster uh, and just used it for sort of a cheap uh, dramatic thrill. And the the opening is the tsunami scene. I, it, it, I, I just couldn't stand this movie at all. 
Um, and, and so I think it's well below Everest. I didn't like Everest. I'm not a fan of it. Uh, it's not as bad as Hereafter, but it's the way that that tsunami is just used sort of for this cheap opening thrill. All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, what is your under? What's the movie that's not quite as good as Everest? Because I know you bracket them very closely. My under, and then I had something I wanted to tell you. I learned about relationships about the movie. Mm-hmm. But my under is Cliffhanger, because I was coming down from Blow with my dad while I was seeing it, and that kind of it was just like too much. And then, But while I was watching Everest, I was thinking the, the peak of Mount Everest is simultaneously the best and worst place to uh, have sex. One, two, three, blah, 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 You just kind of spoon-fed us that one, Kelly Wand. Get it? Gross. No? Kelly Wand, speaking of feeding us, what's this week's 3 by 3 Speaking of loving spoonfuls, <laughs> um, this week I went with a popular favorite, a classic that we haven't done ever before, known as the favorite musical cues in our movies that we've seen. Uh, I'm going first since I'm introducing next week's topic. So my number three pick uh, is Bernard Herrmann's violin screeches when Janet Lee gets stabbed in Psycho. Now, Kelly Wan, you promised you were going to be a super strict three by three cop this week. Does that apply? Is that what you mean when you say musical cues? Uh, I thought those were the actual knife sounds. I didn't know that was music when and I the saw. The knife sounds were actually a specific watermelon that Hitchcock wanted used when the knife. Uh, uh, goes into Janet Lee supposedly. Hitchcock had the special effects. He chose, I think, a cassava melon. See, I thought that was actually Alfred Hitchcock playing the watermelon, and that was music. And the thing you're talking about was were the. So does that stands. mean I'm under three by three arrest? Are you not? I'm giving let you off with a warning, and okay. also because it's a good choice. Okay. Um, it's classic. I, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, got, it's influenced so many horror movies since uh, that. Yeah. It's also one of those ones, and my number three is similar, where you really wish you'd been there when you'd seen Hitchcock first hear it. Like, a guy's going, okay, check this out, dude. Right, right. <laughs> He's all, doo, 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 doo. and then Hitchcock's just watching it going, yeah, this'll do. Right. Hang on. More watermelon, please. Wow. Dingus, what is your uh, uh, number three for uh, your third favorite musical cue in a movie? A little... <laughs> Right. I have no idea what to do with this thing. All right. What? I'm what? enraged already. You're supposed uh, to like this. Not only is he is he a strict cop, he's now an enraged strict You're cop. You're weaving on the lanes. I'm pulling you over. Is, are you, Wait, is he hasn't pre- even given an answer yet, Kelly Wand. Let him, let him try. All right, all right, all right. I, I love that, like, there's manic cop and then enraged strict cop. Would yep. be the worst movie ever. Dingus, when you say manic cop, are you thinking of the Bruce Campbell movie Maniac Cop? Yeah, but <laughs> I'm thinking of the, the psychological version where there's okay. um there's manic depressive cop. And there's OCD cop. Right. Dingus is thinking right. of the wrong manic cop. <laughs> oh God. Far. All right. Okay. So my number three uh, music cue is uh, the Non Nobis Plus Te Deum in uh, Henry V, or Henry V, uh, at the end, after the last battle, um, 
when uh, they've gathered, when they're starting to gather up the corpses and walk up the hill. And um, the music cue that I like is uh, the dude starts to sing the uh, Non Nobis Domine, and then the music comes in as Ke- Kenneth Branagh carrying the the dead boy over his shoulder walks up the hill. And the, the reason I love this is because I have a friend named Aaron Kane who um, really liked that moment, but he said it doesn't work at all uh, time-wise. Um, it's something of an anachronism. And even though I love that moment, he said it's kind of like the, if they had found a Coke can on the battlefield. Ouch, man, those realism sticklers. Yep. Uh, my number two, also a famous icon. Oh, by the way, Kelly Wand, do you Can need we to have pull... Kelly do one? Tom's? The police are pulling Tom over. <laughs> I thought we'd try to do. You're right. impersonating a police officer. So, Kelly Wand, you're also going to provide answers. I didn't realize that. I thought you were only going to be the cop. That's hence my mistake. I let you I'm off sorry. with a warning, and this is the thanks I get. I'm writing you up right now. It's a citation. Well, first, give us your uh, number three favorite musical. Cue. That's actually speeding. You were speeding. Right, I was speeding. You're right. Fair point. My number three, as I was telling you so ex- excitedly to your delight earlier, because it's similar to yours, because right. it's almost the same sound effect. Now that I mm-hmm. think about it, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to do an impression of it, and right. then you have to care. Okay. Dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> You made it sound like Batman. Yeah, is that Batman? Batman Batman (laughs) is your favorite musical cue. That's what he turns into Jaws from a secret identity. So that's my number two, Kelly One. So you could have just gone on. Wait, you have to stop me. So you guys are just going to choose soundtrack things now? No, no, because it's a musical cue that the shark is present. Because during the hoax scene, that that, that theme, that motif does not play. Right. right. But later on, when it shows. Why is Dingus snickering at us, Kelly One? That's a great pick. Why is Dingus snickering? Uh, the, he because he's laughing at the police, which is a dangerous idea, and he's going to find out just how dangerous on his number two. And see how that worked in Straight Outta Compton, Dingus. Laugh the police. I'll tell you when you get up, Dingus. F the police. It's not the laugh. Ah, what? All right, that's it. Pull the paddy wagon up, Dingus. Can't wait, off. first Kelly one. Tell us why Jaws is your number three pick. Music cue. Okay, it's another one where you pick, <laughs> picture the. Why does Dingus not understand that's a musical cue? What's he think it is? I know. Does he? Does Dingus thinks that's he thinks that's a sound effect? I don't does know. he think it's a not piano? A it's not it's part of the soundtrack. Good lord. Well, well so does, is a musical. The music is part of the soundtrack. Right. Yeah. Fine. The dialogues too. Yeah. That, that Bernard, that violin screeching is part of Bernard Bernard Herman's soundtrack for for Psycho. It's definitely part of the soundtrack. Yeah, you're saying Tom's isn't a. Uh, you know what? You're off the police force that you were never invited into. Go Good. back to the. I'm not a part of the police force. You're you're uh, in Domini no, Noblis. That's it. You're in jail. Your your Latin thing is also part of the soundtrack for uh, Brenna's Henry V, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it uh, is actually part of the scene. Oh, right. Dingus thinks the music has to be playing in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> wait, oh, awesome. I can't wait to hear what other two Dingus came so up with. You guys keep choosing That's why he didn't know what to do with it. Because right, I gave right. him an easy one, and he thought it was a really hard one. He made it. Oh, Keep choosing your bad. soundtrack moments. Go ahead. All right, I'm letting you out of jail because I, misund- I misread you your rights. Kelly, one, I knew what a musical cue was. No, I totally got this. But, I mean, but Dingus, Dingus thought I meant... It, music I, it, playing in, in the movie or something. Oh, yeah. God. It's a cue. Go ahead. Keep choosing your favorite soundtrack moments. Go ahead. Well, a, a cue is part of a soundtrack, <laughs> I guess. 
<laughs> Tom got it, so I can't be too stupid. Well, we'll also see. I mean, I wonder if any of the listeners. I mean, seriously, I do wonder if any of the listeners yeah. were confused. I'll we'll find bet. out. Okay, here's my prediction, and I haven't seen the listener list that not one of them thinks what Dingus thought. And well, like, we will find out. Yes, let's save that, though. So, Kelly Wand, you and I picked Jaws. Uh, uh, I kind of wish, wish that I'd met what Dingus said now, though. Like, even you We've would done be stuff a- like that before, though, like like music playing, like a song playing in the course of a movie. Uh, right, right, yeah. I think we've done that before, yeah. Sure. All right, so, uh, Dingus, what is your number two pick Wait. for music? What? Oh, sorry. Kelly wants to talk more about his Jaws oh, soundtrack. Oh, yeah, okay, though. right. Sorry. My soundtrack moment is, uh, okay, Tom, I want to ask you this, yes. since you're a Jaws fan. Mm-hmm. Um, is that music supposed to signify the shark's heartbeat? Because you don't hear it. Oh. Um, sharks don't have hearts. They only have cartilage. It's sort of like, like the shark increasingly getting into a frenzy as it's going to start eating, right? right. Yeah. Also, Dingus, that stuff's called heartilage. <laughs> uh, here's another musical cue that I really like from uh, from Jaws. That buzzsaw sound when Ben Cardiner's head rolls out of the bottom of the boat. Yeah. How about that? Also, here's the thing, Tom. You don't hear the heartbeat of Jaws when he, because um, it's the guy with shark one, when Brody's slinging that shit chum at him and then his head shows up in the oh, background. that is kind of a cheat, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's the first time you see the shark and it's the first time you don't hear that sound. And then you hear it as he's leaving like, yeah, alright, Brody, now I'm going to let you hear my heartbeat. Right, right. But it's yeah, such pretty sneaky, pretty sneaky. Breaks the rules. John Williams is like, no. Well, no, no, I'm- it doesn't break the rules because the other times we're seen from the shark's perspective. We're not seen, we're, we're at this point, we're in the perspective from the, of the men in the orca. Uh, it's 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 different. I mean, certainly a different arrival of the shark. Previously, every time the shark arrives, we see from his perspective the music plays. Now we're only from the perspective of the men on the orca. When the shark arrives, we're not going to get the the warning anymore. We're not seeing from his eyes anymore. We never hear its heartbeat in the second one, right? Because Brody's banging that stupid paddle. Oh my god, I don't even remember. Did they use the? <laughs> could they use John Williams' music in the second one? I don't know. I would hope not. Yeah. I think Roy Scheider was just sitting there banging the paddle, and he wasn't acting. He was just like, fuck this movie! <laughs> All right, let's go to Dingus's number two favorite uh, instance of music oh, playing during a movie scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said as a topic. All right, so here's a quote from it. <laughs> Bloody hell, I'm going to die to Boney M. Well, it's also the over of two people uh, for this week's movie. Right. I love this. This is from Touching the Void, and um, this really rang true for me. So so this character, it has this awful song running through his head, and he – It's not that awful. Well, to him it is. At this moment, he's – It's inappropriate for the moment. Exactly right. And and at the moment when he – when he says that, the music, the cue overwhelms his thoughts. And it becomes basically a part of the soundtrack. I'm kind of trolling you guys a little bit, but it 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 overwhelms the scene, and this this really rings true for me because I remember uh, the first time I went, um, uh, no, it was probably the second time I went hunting with my stepfather in Colorado, um, and w- we were hunting for deer, and um, I couldn't carry a gun at that time. I was probably 11, 12 years old, uh, really deep snow, and we're walking over the mountains. And he took a shot at a deer, and he wounded it. And the deer just took off. And so we had to track this deer 
for miles, just Ugh. going by little drops of blood. Um, because, you know, as a hunter, he's not going to let that deer just die. <laughs> he's going to hunt. He's going to track it down, not only because we were out there to hunt and bring food home for the winter. I'm not kidding. Um, but because that's wrong. You don't just let the animal go out there and be wounded. And it was hours. It was hours trekking through the snow. And I was just, I was exhausted. I mean, it's, you know, what, what might have been two feet of snow up to his knees was much deeper for me. And I mean, it was just driving me crazy. And for whatever reason, I have no idea why this is, but the song that was playing blaring in my head was Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. It was just playing over and over again in my head so loudly. And I don't hate Journey or anything, and I didn't at that time, but I have no idea why that song in particular just would not stop. It was on a loop in my head. So when this character was coming down off the mountain and he said, bloody hell, I'm going to die to Boney M. Uh, and then the soundtrack kind of got overwhelmed in his thoughts. I, I just loved that moment. Kelly Wine, are you issuing any citations or arrests? Yeah, he's picking a movie he knows I haven't seen. Typical <laughs> bullshit. But Tom, the third you, one, his little can, opera. What? You can deputize Tom. He's seen it. Tom, I'm deputizing you, but only for momentarily. Right. Uh, I think uh, let him off with a warning. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's two warnings I've issued. It's part of the. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an important musical moment. I don't know the specific cue where the music starts. Like, I, I think of a cue dingus as like when a song starts. Like, <laughs> like what, like Whoa. where does this begin? What instigates this music? Uh, like, I think of that as kind of a cue. I don't know. I think Tom's gotten drunk with power. I've deputized him for five <laughs> seconds. He's <laughs> turned. He's gone completely insane. All right, I'm turning. I'm giving. I'm turning him. That's soundtrack. Back. Yeah, you both have abused the authority I've given you. So, letting you both off with new warnings. These are your third warnings each. All right. All right. All right. Is it time for my number one? Candy. No, it's time for Kelly no. one number two. Stop skipping me. That's another warning right there. You're on a four. That's your fourth warning. I'm warning you, Kelly. He's <laughs> running for sheriff next year. You know, he's going to unseat you. All right, Kelly Ward. What is your number two favorite musical key? Not afraid to use my warning pad. All right. <laughs> the taser doesn't work, but this my pen. It's almost out of ink, too. It's just a don't vape. Make it's a vape pen, don't the worry. <laughs> These pens are written in, in THC. Okay, now, Tom, my number two musical cue is from the motion picture 2001 uh, when the monolith keeps showing apes how to make tons. Ah. And I always like it because if you listen, it's like it starts out, it's mostly harmonious, like, oh, oh. And then later, there's always this one dude in the background who's like, oh, oh, oh. Like yeah, he's just, yeah. shut up, I got this, fuck you, geometry. Like he's a little pissed off about something. Fuck and I always thought, <laughs> that's the cool alien that I want to be. That's the Kelly Wand in the monolith going, shut up. Well, Kelly, you know that's a, that's a piece called "Thus Spake Zarathustra." Uh, right. Who's the composer on that? Why do I not know? Strauss. It is Strauss. Oh. Yeah. Wait, not the I, Waltz Strauss though. I think he's cross-eyed. That's like he, I know him from uh, Faust. 
Is it a different Strauss from the guy who did the Blue Danube Waltz for the docking sequence? It's not the same Strauss, is it? That was... Uh, All right, there's maybe two not. Strausses and okay. two Marxes. No, there's five Marxes, three Strausses. But yeah, I've, that's, that's, Strauss. a, that's certainly a, a great pick. I like that one. Baldwin's. But Tom, do you feel that that one guy in the monolith is the rebel, or is he the one who's like orchestrating So it? here's the thing. When they probably do productions that involve the Spag Zarathustra, the, the, the like guy in the chorus who gets mm-hmm. to do that part is probably yeah. the big shot. He's like the big man on chorus. Or is he the boss's son who like owns the big opera house? And all, oh, I can do this too, dad. Yeah. I can't imagine that's easy to do. I mean, it sounds a little crazy, but I, I it probably takes some, some pipes wait, wait. to do that. I'll say. What year was that movie? Uh, and those are shaped like monoliths. What year was that? Was that music recorded? I don't know. I, I, for some reason, I want to say it's modern music, uh, and that's why I think it's a different Strauss. Oh, I always thought it was it's, the 1800s. It's Richard Strauss, but I don't have ah. any idea when, what year it was. Is, the, is Richard Strauss also the Blue Danube Wall Strauss guy? Is it the I same? no idea. All right. We're, we're out of our depth here, I'm willing to yeah. admit. We'll do that um, on our classical movie podcast. I mean, right. classical music podcast. Tune in for that. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kelly Wan, is it time for my number one? Because it kind of fits yours. <sighs> Oh. Yeah, exactly. I got a segue. He's so the Kelly ghost wants... alien. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a counterpart to the, the docking sequence in 2001. That's the, the Blue Danube Waltz that for the longest time was kind of this vision of space travel in the 60s and 70s, I think. You know, Kubrick had this beautiful extended poetic scene with, with beautiful music playing. Uh, I know you guys weren't into this movie. Oh man, I so love that docking sequence in Interstellar when Cooper's trying to wrestle the the Endurance, the the main ship, back into control uh, after Matt Damon's character has blown it up. Uh, I love that whole sequence, and and part of what I love most about it, I love so many things about it, but part of what I love most about it is um, a specific musical cue in Hans Zimmer's soundtrack. Um, so the scene, I mean, if you've seen Interstellar, you know the scene. Uh, it begins with Matt Damon. He's the bad guy. He's stolen one of the landing ships. He's going to take the main ship and leave them behind uh, because he's a coward. And the thing is, he doesn't think he's a coward. Right. While he's in the airlock, and they have it set where the airlock isn't going to work, and they're trying to warn him, he begins this line. He says, this is about all mankind. There is a moment, and he's going to make this great declaration like, you know, one small step for a man, one giant step for mankind. Like, he thinks he's making some great declaration like that, and then it blows up and cuts him off. And at that moment, total silence. As There's no music, there's no sound. You see the entryway explode, the endurance, the part of it crumbles, it goes spinning out of control. Everything at that moment is lost. They are fucked. They, they have no way to get back. Cooper will never see his daughter again. Amelia, and Hathaway's character... She will never find out what happened to the man she loves, who she knows is waiting on another planet. They won't return to Earth with data about where humanity can relocate. At that point, all of mankind is lost. And so Matthew McConaughey hunkers down and grabs the controls, and a little soundtrack bit starts. Just a a little steady pulse. You know, Hen Zimmer's really good at these. It's just a little pulse kind of in the background. And Anna Hathaway says, Cooper, what are you doing? 
And Matthew McConaughey says, docking. And then, <laughs> right at that moment, Hans Zimmer's organ. You know, people make fun of that cathedral bit of Interstellar, but goddamn, that works for me so well. Uh, that organ part of the soundtrack starts in, and that build-up, as he's doing this crazy docking maneuver, uh, which is so difficult that it knocks Anne Hathaway out, um, the build-up, and eventually the ensuing release, when they finally... Get it out of, you know, it's it's not in danger of crashing into the planet. It's It's been wrestled into control. Um, that whole sequence, just the intensity of that just gets me every time. And a lot of it, you know, the stakes in the story, the visuals, but certainly a big part of it is Hans Zimmer's soundtrack. And how well he works with what Christopher Nolan is doing, by the way. So that's my favorite musical cue, is when that organ bit starts, the moment that Matthew McConaughey says that he's docking. Okay. Right, hey. Yes, go ahead. It's not that hard to knock Anne Hathaway over in that movie. She gets knocked over a lot. She is a, a, a slight woman, yes. Well, she didn't get knocked over. It's the G's that she loses consciousness, I should she's, say. She's all woman. She's not slight woman. Secondly, uh, <laughs> the monolith in that movie doesn't make cool noises like, oh. Right, it does. It makes stupid noises. And do you remember its name? TARDIS. Ah. TARDIS is like a monolith. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I do wonder. You know, did did the production designer Jonathan Nolan sort of intend TARDIS to look kind of like the monolith? I wouldn't first, be surprised. First off, his name's not TARDIS, and it's I not. called him Tard in the Opsis, and you thought that was his name, even though it's Tars. So I got you to think his name's Tard. So I win. Oh, the TARDIS is the stupid Doctor Who thing, isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> ha ha. And it's not even its name. I you know, know what the TARDIS stands for? Nerd. Well, there, there's a TARS and a, there are large. There's two of them, right? It's a Tarzan, yeah. Huh? No, there's two of those monolithic robots. I can't believe I called them TARDIS. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're TARDS. That's what you just said on oh, no, that's, you international know, radio. That, Kelly Wan, it's Doctor Who's spaceship. I wouldn't expect you to know that. It's a TARDIS. Yes. That's what the three by three police travel in harnesses. All right, but you were telling me. So, what's the monolith in Interstellar? Whoa. I don't know. The, is it the black hole? No, it's the stupid robot. I'm just oh, saying. So it, is, it is Tars. Okay. But he's all voiced by, by the way, who we saw in Ricky and the Flash. Who does the voice for Tars? Kelly Wand. Uh, Taylor. One of the actors, nope. One of the actors from Ricky and the Flash. Oh, uh, <laughs> Kevin Klein. No. Uh. Um, Jonathan Demme. Distinguous notes. Sam Elliott, the black guy. Do you know this Stingus? Obama. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember. Isn't it Bill Wait. Irwin who does? Bill Irwin who has. Oh, a little Bill part. Irwin. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And isn't he the voice uh, of Tars? I just be totally forgot he was in Ricky and the. Fire. I know, right? He's got that one thankless part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do you know who does that? Uh, voice in the monolith in 2001 where it's all uh... the big man on chorus no it's Debbie C. Fields <laughs> but wow. isn't that a good counterpart to the uh, docking sequence in 2001 Kelly Wan don't you uh, uh, yeah actually that part was kind of good actually I, I remember it I don't remember the, the music cue that you're talking about but I remember oh, kind of liking the scene it's so intense like when it starts yeah I mean you kind of have to you have to not make fun of like 
If you're if you don't like the Hans Zimmer soundtrack, it's not going to work for you. No, but I also liked it because it was sort of space related, and it was like, oh, it's finally turning into gravity, like I was hoping. Like right. there's something scientific going on that's interesting, as opposed to a bunch of bullshit in a bookcase, which was really boring to me. Well, that's coming later, right? It's, you're not going to get that till later in the movie. Yeah. And then a wormhole, and then a hospital bed, and then the mom going, oh, you should go say goodbye to Anne Hathaway too. Forget me. I love Bullshit in the Bookcase as a terrible children's book. <laughs> bullshit in the Bookcase with Tard, as Tom calls him. Tardis. Oh, Tardis. All right. Whose uh, turn is it? Davis, what is, is your number one forgotten? favorite instance of music playing during a movie scene? All right. Well, since you brought up Hans Zimmer, <laughs> since you referenced uh, the Hans Zimmer soundtrack, I'm going to feel fine bringing up a James Newton Howard one. Uh, um, and it's under the same sort of circumstances. So I've I've sort of pleased to hear you describe that, Tom, because the moment that I'm talking about is similar in that everything goes silent in this in this hugely loud action moment. Everything goes silent, and then just this little little musical cue starts up. It's just this beautiful little um, piano sound that starts this little piece of music uh as the character it, it's basically um james newton howard saying hey he's having an epiphany everybody um but i i love this moment so much even though i, I i'm not a big fan of the way this movie ends um i watched it again and uh, and uh, I watched it again. I actually watched it twice within the last couple of weeks because he used it for another three by three. And this is from the end of the movie, I Am Legend. And this is when uh, the lead, uh, I don't know if you call them zombies or infected. I'm not sure what they call them in the movie. I can't even remember. Um, is smashing against the plexi as uh, the doctor and the woman and her son are all hiding behind it. And Dash Mihawk's, uh, in fact, it just keeps smashing against this plexi until, and it shatters, and it shatters, and it shatters. Or it doesn't shatter, but you just see the, the glass breaking and breaking and breaking until it breaks into these butterfly wings, basically. And Dash Mihawk's dude, like, backs up, and you see that the pattern of the glass, um, right against, like, striating out from his chest in the background. And at that moment, because this is a moment that was referenced earlier in the movie when Will Smith's uh, kid is talking about, it's a butterfly daddy. Uh, he suddenly sees the butterfly wings, and he, he imagines this moment, oh, this is what I have to do. And the, the sound goes almost completely silent. And then there's just this beautiful little music cue of this little uh, James Newton Howard um, musical thing that is just his thoughts of, my child told me to listen for this. It, it, it's, it's something that I would criticize in another movie, like, say, Signs, where it's that swing away moment. Um, but here it really works for me. And, I, I, you know, as I watched the movie again, because uh, I, I wanted to lift out a, um, a lens flare to put in the thread. I ended up just, as so often happens, stumbling into watching the whole damn movie again because I'm an idiot. Um, when we got to that moment, I was like, oh, I can. Uh, this totally works for me as far as what Kelly's concerned for musical cues. 
Kelly, do you accept that choice? I guess. He's trying really hard, so I'm going to let him off. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for giving me try points. Yeah, I'm going to take right, so back Kelly, one earlier warnings. What, what do the listeners have for us? Well, Kelly, what's your number one? Tom, I'm warning you. Okay, that's it. Back in the wagon. You're not getting out this time. That's three times. How can you hate all my choices that much? You have faith that at least one of them will not suck. He just doesn't like somebody else being sheriff. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's true. He's good at it. All right. right. What's your number one pick? Let's. What do you got? I'm reinstating you. So even though your crimes have been horrible tonight as a, <laughs> as a fucking vigilante, um, I'm temp- deputizing you temporarily while I go since I can't police myself. Ah, I see. Good. I will I will handle my new power very responsibly. All right. Dingus, keep an eye on him. In the num- my number one movie, the movie Vacation, I always liked it when Christy Brinkley – would drive up and she's playing that pointer sister song because it oh i i thought oh at first go oh it's just he's that's part of his fantasy is that she drives up and she's playing the song but then i realize you sign you find out she's real at the end of the movie which means every time he sees her she's either always playing that song on her car all the time on a 24 and 7 loop which means she's always ready for sex or she turns it on every time she sees chevy chase mm. which means she's really into him But also, you don't hear the music when she comes in the restaurant later when you find out she's real. So it's kind of like Jaws, where you don't see her music. Yeah, I like that one. I accept that. She goes in the pool. Chevy's in the pool. Christy Brinkley's eyes like a Barbie doll's eyes. Yes, Dingus? Nothing. When, When Jaws goes in a restaurant, but never mind. All right, well, Kelly Wan, what do the listeners have for us? As the main course. That's an answer to Tom's question. I don't know what Dingus is talking about. Uh, Total Sausage Fest. I think we've lost all our female listeners. I can't imagine why. But Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. Wasn't quite sure how to do this topic. All right, that's it. Warning issued. Here goes. Number three. In Flash Gordon. Tom, you're relieved of duty, by the way. Thank okay, you. Thanks. Yeah, that was good. Your silence. Yeah. I respected your authority. Number three, Flash Gordon, which Kelly reminded me of. That's that sounds like pity. The musical cue that turns Flash from being manhandled by Ming's goons into a full-on heroic Mongo-style football game. Yeah, and then uh, what's her name starts cheering him, going, "Go, Flash, go!" Dale, isn't her name Dale? Yeah, Dale. Yeah. Why do you remember that, Tom? I watched it recently. It's it's unwatchable. <laughs> oh my god, it's unwatchable. You watched it recently? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 and it's the, it's the guy that did Croupier. It's Mike Hodges. Oh, holy cat! Yeah. yeah. How did you watch that recently? I just I like watch. I, I just I've had a lot of time lately. I've been watching movies that I remembered as a kid, and uh, some of them should remain unwatched. Yeah. All right. I mean, there is there. There's just this amazing cheesiness to Flash Gordon, but I, it just gets to be too much like uh and the funny thing is kelly wand i guess it's supposed to be this way that he Dale did get shit, carter by the way too he what he did oh, get, yeah, carter. get carter right right i was burying the lead of course yeah. yeah um that dale chick is not nearly as hot as like ming's daughter oh no shit or no yeah, i remember it, watching it thinking why is he messing around with this goofy looking dale chick when there's this over here yeah. i know 
Yeah, and every a- outfit she wears gets better. Oh my god! Movie. Yeah, you know what? Maybe Flash Gordon is awesome. She's great in it, and she's in it a lot, and she's hilarious. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't they, the the Flash ah? Uh, is that, uh, yep. is that a musical that's what cue? He's talking about? Uh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's Queen at their best. Yeah. Remember when she's making out with him on the ship, and he's telepathically talking to Dale? Oh my god! Like, oh my god! That's right. And she's like kissing his neck, and she's squirming around on his lap, and he's like, "God, this chick's turning me on." And Dale's all, "Wait, Flash, what? What was the last?" Right, part? right. He's all, "Uh, <laughs> come on, that movie rules. Watch it again with Dingus. Stop." Right. And Timothy Dalton in the tree. Oh yeah, remember when they're putting oh, yeah, their Timothy hands Dalton in the tree of the, death? The elf people, yeah. yeah. And the princess gets kind of turned on by it. <laughs> When they start chanting afterwards, after the guy get after the guy dies with his hand in the tree, yep. she's all, "Oh, it's so hot." She likes how primal they are. See, so, you know, all the parts with her I like. I'll, I'll, I'll great. I'll give you that, Kelly. Walker. She should have. Yeah, her only flaw is she likes Flash a little too much. But Flash, and that, that's like that that guy who played Flash. What I mean, he he became a joke. Yeah, he became a joke in Ted. Like that. That's kind of his his legacy. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's in, Ted, they, yeah. in Ted, they make a joke where Mark Wahlberg loves the movie Flash Gordon, and he thinks Sam Jones is is an amazing celebrity, and uh, and then he meets Sam Jones later at a party, I think. And Tom, Sam Jones actually plays himself in Ted. Uh-huh. One last Ming's daughter, remember? Remember in the court where she has like those two uh, midgets on leashes? She's yes. Kind of yes. Come on, that's yeah. the best movie ever made. I, I, like I said, I agree. All the parts with Ming's daughter, I, I approve of. The rest of it, I want no part of. <sighs> She's right. really good at that movie. Yeah. Uh, what What else does Paul Weimer have for us? I forget their character's name. Number two, in Inception, as an in-universe example. <laughs> that's a little dingusy. I'll allow it. The Edith Piaf song the protagonists use as a way to wake themselves up from the dream. Oh, okay. You know, I didn't mean... In, it doesn't have to be a plot device. It just has to be something... Um, anything on the soundtrack. I understand now what a musical cue is. It's anything on the soundtrack. <laughs> Dingus? Just because this is a social oligarchy doesn't mean you should... Uh, challenge law enforcement. Number one, the musical cue that announces the arrival of Darth Vader. Uh, I was wondering how long it would take to get to this. Yeah, Coming I, was, aboard... I, was, I thought one of you jokers was going to do that one. No, nah, too much usually, shame. usually troll us by bringing up Star Wars first. Yeah, he does. You're right. And then blaming us for talking about okay, it. Oh, you can get it. It's the number one. Everybody knows the Star Wars thing. And then Tom acts like we're idiots for not having done it. You <laughs> think this is so right. <laughs> See, Tom, we're on to you, though. We wanted to see you. We wanted – it was a call. And it was a – we both were playing chicken, and we all backed out. And now Paul Weimer is driving alone in circles, isn't he? <laughs> Thank you, Paul Weimer. Sausage fests. Darth Vader coming aboard the Rebel ship. And, I can't understand where our female listeners go. Getting back to Star Wars. Darth Vader coming aboard the Rebel ship in Star Wars. A New Hope. <laughs> Wait, that's not his musical. Excuse me, ladies, not listening. That wasn't Darth Vader's musical cue, though. Wasn't was Darth he, Vader's musical cue in Empire, where it's dun 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 dun? Yeah. dun. That's his doesn't music. that play when he comes on? Yeah. Point. Yeah. All right, Darth Vader, that's, go. Wait, three, two, one, go, Darth, go. Dun dun. dun. That's his heartbeat, by the way, Tom. Darth Vader's heart. Whenever he walks, he has to walk slow at the beginning. Heartbeat is the love beat. 
Wait, that is the first thing when he comes on? For some reason, I thought that he had a different one. And then they went, oh, yeah, let's get him something better. All right, never mind. I think Yakety's come back first. A musical cue is ominous and iconic as the character himself. Error occurred. <sighs> if he's in that episode seven, I'm walking out. That's all I'm saying. And I'm talking about Paul Weimer, by the way. Just kidding. Grant Stewart. Sorry, I've not been able to contribute for a while. I've been stuck in a loop of retro listening to older podcasts. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> we just read that on the air. So in six months, he'll read us here. Like, hey, guys. Remember when I wrote that? I'm not sure if I really get your definition, Kelly, of musical cues for this week. Tom, you got it. So I know that I'm not dumb. It, it, some people, I, I guess... Musical cues can be different things. They're all we're they're the Rob Halls and we're the Russians. With you don't even need the oxygen. But without a specific example, I love the DJs playing music for the protagonists in protagonists in Vanishing Point. I think that's right, and also in the Warriors. The DJs playing music is a tough call. Do the right thing, I would give. Vanishing point. I don't. Ooh. Do the right thing is. I mean, that's good if you're going to talk about cues for characters to do things. When Radio Rahim plays his boombox. Yeah. Well, I met Sam Jackson. Of course, he did. <clears throat> Grant Stewart continues. My one and only solid choice for this week, though, is Michael Madsen's little dance routine to Steelers Wheel, wheel. and Reservoir Dogs. Steeler Wheel. Steelers Wheel. Villainous punk, punk duo. I rewatched uh, this recently and I was really, really disappointed on it. What? Grant Stewart writes. Grant. Wait, he's, he opens with my one and only solid choice is that, and then he, he follows that up with I was really disappointed in it. The acting and the direction in it felt so labored and amateurish, I really didn't enjoy it at all. Oh no, come on. I'm with Dingus. Reservoir well, Dogs is still I, awesome. I considered Reservoir Dogs because of that first opening. I mean, because all that Stephen Wright stuff is, you know, I would say, music. And then that first thing, the, you know, little green bag. And then, and then that's the cue to start the movie, basically, after that opening Madonna stuff. I was just going to take Tarantino off the table if I'd thought of it even, just because it's sort of all, there's a lot of good ones. But like Reservoir Dogs, I would, does that... Can we get a second opinion on whether that holds up? Because I think we'd expect it to. It does definitely holds up. I've seen it in the last month. Yeah, it holds up. You've seen it in the last month and it holds up? The last time I saw it, I thought it totally held up, and I hadn't seen it in years. And I was like, yeah, this is good. This is what about what I remember. Like, the whole movie was good. Tom? No, it's, it's, it's classic early Tarantino before he became too enamored of himself. Right. Like, if you watch later Tarantino's, you go, I think his writing's overrated, and then you go back to Reservoir Dogs, you go, oh, no, he's great. He was a great... Right. That's right. his best written movie. And you even know, Pulp Fiction, there, there's some of that. Like, there's, there's, yeah. Right. When, when, Reservoir when Dogs Tarantino, is pure. When Tarantino was still raw, there, were, there was just a lot... I don't know about more there, but... And Reservoir Dogs isn't aping stuff. Like, I don't know... I thought the whole this in the cast is good. The problem isn't his writing, I don't think. As he gets older, it's it's his editing. I mean, I mean Resident Evil Dogs is tight. It's tightly edited. Yeah. And the stuff, I mean, Kill Bill, in my opinion, should not be two movies. 
I mean, yeah. that's just a, a lapse in, like, just let you edit whatever you want. And if you want to make a four-hour movie that sprawls over two movies, go ahead. Although, I think Inglorious Bastards is kind of a totally slapdash clusterfuck, editing-wise. But I love it. Because it was supposed to be a TV series. It's kind of like a Lynch experiment. Whatever, dude. Grant Stewart. The only thing that really elevated it for me was Michael Madsen. Everything about that scene is just so iconic, though. What he's wearing, what he says, the way he dances, and the little cutaway from the action. Get it? That most people didn't even notice because they were too squeamish to watch. I loved that. Take care, guys. Keep up the good work. By the way, Dingus, I was whatever duding myself there. So. All right. Here you yeah. Um, Austin Arlett. I figure they'll be in a line with everyone else's choices. <laughs> He's wrong. Number three, the Avengers hijacking the speakers to blast ACDC to announce his arrival as backup sums up everything we need to know about Iron Man. <laughs> I love that. Wait, they do that in the trailer, though, of Iron Man 1. Does that count? No, but it's such a thrilling moment. Oh, God, I love that moment so much. <laughs> Apart from, you know, plot cohesion and an ability to pay off things, it built up. It's little touches like this that set the first Avengers so far apart from the muddled second movie. Which I believe we're all in agreement on, right? Like, even America is with, me, with us on that. Like Avengers Two is old Age of Ultron. We'll never watch again. Like we just we'll pretend that never happened. It's like Superman Four. Number two, Sergeant Bilko. I like this one because Chuck Berry's "No Particular Place to Go" is used as a musical cue, not just for us, the audience, but for the characters in the movie. It wants the major. It wants the motor pool that the brass is coming. It warns the motor pool. Sorry. It warns the motor pool that the brass is coming and it strikes the perfect musical tone for the scramble to hide an illegal gambling operation. Is that the Steve Martin one? I was getting it mixed up with uh, Mikhail's Navy with Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. It's something yeah. I haven't seen. Sergeant Bilko. Totally lost. I get that, and I get those mixed up with Down Periscope. There were like three army, like wacky Navy movies. All in a row, and they were all—they all were lit the same. And there was always like an evil admiral. Number one, Cabin in the Woods. The jump scare for the movie title perfectly captures the essence of this movie. It's cheesy, playful, partly parody but partly sincere, and most of all, a cheap scare. The tone of the whole movie in a single music cue. Which one's he talking about? Oh, when the, when the first the title the beginning after the uh... yeah the title card yeah oh that's a good one. Yeah, he's right. Oh, geez, that makes me think about funny games. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree with Dingus, too. And with Austin Arlitz, number one. That was your best choice, according to the police. Arthur Giovanangeli writes, number three, Wally, the fat captain, <laughs> finally stands up for the first time and they cue some music that is reminiscent of 2001. <laughs> Does that happen? I don't remember Wally. I don't remember the music. I, I know yeah. that Captain yeah. finally standing up to the rogue AI, but I don't remember the music. 
I, don't remember. I do remember that there was a 2000, like it was a riff on how, uh, of course. Yeah, I get that part. I don't understand why if a fat man stands up, that's like gorillas throwing bone. That seems like a bit of a reach to me. Anyway. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it was that musical cue. That doesn't seem like it would have fit into Wally. Yeah, if I'd been in that session, I would have gone, uh, shouldn't we get some creaky bamboo, maybe? But that's my answer to everything. Number two, American Psycho. Christian Bale turns on hip to be square while wearing a clear raincoat and brandishing an axe. Tom, I read the book of that, did I tell you? Did you read that book? I've never read Brett Easton Ellis. Isn't that him? Yeah. Yeah, I've never read anything by him. Is that the one I should start with? Yeah, read it. It's really good. It was a good uh, recommendation Mm -hmm. from a fan of the podcast. Number one, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Angel Eyes cues the prison guard. I'm such an idiot. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Angel Eyes cues the prison band. (laughs) You can see where I thought that wasn't an actual phrase. And they play while his henchman tortures Tuco. What? There's a prison band in Good, Bad, and the Ugly? Oh, the listeners must hate us. We don't know anything. Is it just me? They hate me. Chris Markardson, the patron saint. Hey, guys. This topic was a heck of a lot harder than lens flares. <laughs> Damn it! I can't issue a warning to Markardson. He's like nope. the mayor. Okay. He has diplomatic immunity. Yeah, I know. Shit. Well, I'll see what he did with it. Hopefully these picks will make the grade. Oh, see? Fuck Canadians. And hopefully I sent it in time for the podcast, eh? Canadians. Number three, Whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you should see Whiplash, by the way. I've heard. Yeah, I really it. recommend Whiplash to you, Tom. You should totally see it, Tom. Well, now you do. Why didn't you guys tell me that before? Oh, my God. It's the first time hearing this from well, you. you. It's like knowing us and you won't see it, so please see it, Tom. Oh, my God. It's like Young Adult, but Charlie's Throne runs from a spaceship. It's really good. <laughs> la, 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 la. That song should be called Whiplash, huh? It just like slams you. Do it. That would have been a good song to play when they fall in Everest. Is that is that sound disrespectful of the dead? You're, you're missing anyway, an I opportunity hope. to read Markinson's pick over uh, this music. Yeah, I was I was hoping to accompany his pick. Yeah. You can still do it. It's a long song. After trying for about five hours to get J.K. Simmons's tempo for double time swing. Demon finally brings it home. I was just kind of hoping. As he's playing and J.K. Simmons screams at him to go faster, what sounds like a piano begins to play faintly and slowly gets louder until finally Neiman is told to stop. That faint piano, at least I think it's a piano, doesn't start playing until the climactic moment of the scene. And while it's subtle, I think it adds something to it. All right, start all over. I'll read it right. Fucked it all up. The, the, that opening is just so grand, but then I got kind of like lost in just listening to it. Sorry, sure. failed. Yeah. The police are. I'm handing in my badge. I'm throwing it in the river like Dirty Harry. Fuck it. 
have back in the next movie. Number two, Wild. I tried to stay away from any songs, Tom, and hold true to the spirit of the topic, but I'm getting away from that with my number two pick. Near the end of the movie, you're the only one who's seen this movie, right? Wild? Yeah, yeah, Wild does great stuff with music, by the way. Did you, and you like the movie? Yeah, I like Wild a lot. Yeah. Near the end of Wild, Reese Witherspoon stops a llama. <laughs> Is this the one where she's handcuffed to Sofia Vergara? Oh no, but that's a, that's that's also that movie is also kind of wild in its own way. Doesn't she wear a ranger outfit in both movies? Uh, she doesn't wear a ranger outfit in Hot Pursuit. She wears a police outfit, and in Wild, she is not a ranger. I'm afraid. In Wild, she's driving a TARDIS. <laughs> I mean, uh, as I think it's Kelly, one, I'm such yeah. a fan of Doctor Who. I watch so much Doctor Who. Oh uh, yeah, just right. seeps into my. Uh, All right, what's the name of his magic weapon that he has? The beam shooter. No. It's who's, a screwdriver. Who's the latest doctor? Oh, oh. that one's easy. Yeah. Yeah, Peter that's Capaldi. too easy. Yeah. Oh, Tom, who's your favorite of Doctor Who's companions? Mm, that would be uh, Liv Tyler. Tom, what's Doctor Who's home planet? Alderaan. Chris Markardson continues, Near the end of Wild, Reese Witherspoon stops a llama that's gotten loose on the trail she is walking. She is soon met by the owner of the llama, a grandma, and her young grandson out for a walk. Like a grandma. They talk and the grandson sings Red River Valley, which was a song that the boy's mother taught him. This breaks the topic, probably, but I really enjoyed this scene. (laughs) I mean, Chris is obviously what? taking the dingus interpretation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Shit. Which I, that, that, you know what? And I bet that wouldn't happen. And Markardson just handed me to dingus on a fuck with a, with an apple in my mouth. But that just, is a great moment. I, I love that Chris picked that. All right, Canadians are off the table for my predictions from now on. Because only he, only he and dingus, who's a secret Canadian, would have even thought of this shit. Tom, you and I are normal. Number one, under the skin. After sinking into the floor, Scarlett Johansson... Ah, this is a great one. Shit! This is better than any of mine. All right. I guess Dingus is right, then. Scarlett Johansson's current date finds himself suspended in liquid. While there, he finds another man also in the liquid. During this time, there's almost no sound except for a soft, intermittent crackling. Then, to quote Kelly Wand, they high-five. <laughs> then the other guy swings the way real fast. <laughs> Did I write that? That used to be funny. <laughs> Please go back and listen to the Under the Skin Offsis and delete. <laughs> I know the Ever Offsis is terrible. <laughs> That's what I thought happened, by the way, when I saw that movie. And I'm still convinced it happened. <laughs> they high five, and then the other guy swims away fast. <laughs> that was a very confusing movie to me. Tom had to explain it to me with pins and needles afterwards. Just as the dude swims away, you hear a loud bang, and then there's a violin crescendo to help drive home the enormity of what has just happened and the speed which he's swum away, and the, the five has been hide. Thanks for letting me ramble, Chris. So Canadian. He apologizes when he... I mean, thanking's not really an apology, but... Fucking Canadians. What am I going to say? All right. That's it for that. All right, runners-up for musical cues. 
I give up. All right. Fair enough. Dennis, you got anything for us? No, I really don't. All right. Next week's three by three. So at Everest, they reach the when they reach the top. That, that should be this this huge important moment. They're so exhausted that it doesn't really work. But 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 you think that that would be an incredibly ecstatic moment. Uh, yeah. And the movie tries to capture this this idea of completely exhausted, drained people, racked with pain, achieving this this moment. Uh, and it's you know whether it works or not, who knows what it's like to actually get up there. But what I want from you guys are your favorite moments of ecstasy, and you can do with this as you will. You may interpret this word as you like. Um, uh, you can get as carnal or as spiritual as you like. Uh, what about the drug ecstasy? Like can go. Oh, uh, yeah, that you could do. I mean, that's awfully that's an awfully literal pedestrian reading. But if that's the direction you want to go, Kelly Wand, run with it. Oh, pedestrian, run, get it. Tom just did a funny. We'll see if the cops let you get away with it, though. Well, remember how cool I was to you. I only let you off with warnings. I got like four of them, and then I was locked in a paddy wagon for a while. Ugh. Yeah, but you won. You collected the most warnings. You won. It's like that alchemy game you taught me. Oh, okay, good. Uh, If you have some moments of ecstasy you would like us to read on the air, we'd like to hear about them. (laughs) From movies, by the way. We don't care. You know, your own personal moments of ecstasy, that's between you and... Your ecstasy, but we want to hear no, about your mo- I'll moments from movies. No, no, <laughs> movies. It's a movie podcast. Uh, send your choices to uh, 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. We'll read them on the air. Uh, next week, we are going to see Black Mass. Ugh. Yeah. Wait, there was one I was going to like. Oh, what about The Gift? Or no, what's the, the grandma one? Uh, the Visit. Next week, we'll be seeing Black Mass, so uh, see it, and then join us for that podcast, uh, and join us for the 3 by 3 with our Moments of Ecstasy afterwards. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mrowski. It's Christian Mrowski. And Kelly Wand. This is my impression of Ted Knight in the monolith. <laughs> Well, Dingus, I guess if we fall off Everest, our headstones will have to say, well, ironic, huh? Don't cry for them. The last word always belongs to the mountain. (laughs) White man!